Welcome to the Mortal Realms. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... I'm Davey, and I guess I'd have to consider myself a Great Horn Rat agnostic. This is Eric, and I'm great! This is Ben, and my favorite curry is Ben Curry. In this episode, we'll be heading to Gur to follow Arcus Warbeast, Lord Celestant of the Celestial Vindicators, and Thuterus Silverhand of the Knights Excelsior. These two diametrically opposed heroes struggle with their own roles in Sigmar's plan to free a key realm gate in the realm of beasts. We are covering War Beast by Gav Thorpe. We will also welcome media mogul Bad Dice Ben Curry to the show to talk about community building. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Really excited to have you on board. No problem. Um, your show has been one of my favorites since you've uh, came out, and you know, it's a pleasure to join you. Thanks. And how are you doing tonight, Davey? I'm doing great. I think I just about said baby. You did. But uh, that's We usually right. keep that off air. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, Davey, what have you been up to since the last time we recorded? Hobby has been almost exclusively uh, entering the Silver Tower, so been having a whole lot of fun with that we got a we got a few guys here a, a little bit of a rotating group uh our first venture out we we dominate i think we brought uh the war chanter who's uh i was gonna say quite the beat stick and that is an yep. unintentional pun that's usually your territory so i like it yeah uh that guy as long as it's standing next to him he can he can probably kill it like he can throw out a lot of damage um uh, that was aaron's they we had the uh the weird knob shaman who can splash some area effect with the Excelsior priest, Excelsior, yeah. <laughs> who uh, struggles to get renowned when you're when you're uh, just stomping all over everybody because there's just, nothing to heal. He just runs around saying, "Let me heal you. Take yeah. some damage. Let me heal you." <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was taking the Tenebral shard, which was which was pretty fun. That's a that's a fun piece jumping around. He's so. pretty elite. Yeah, we stormed through that. F- we stormed through that first challenge and uh, got a little cocky on the second one. And so we were all like. You know, every man for himself. How can I? What can I do to maximize my return on Renown? And then we got ourselves owned pretty bad. I uh, because Paul couldn't join us. I yeah. he, we tack it up to him. Not, he was playing the music. Yeah, uh, the first time out, he had theme music for everybody. So there was like a steel drum uh, conga line going on for whenever the war chanter was going, and yeah. so on and so forth. So, so no, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. we um, the priest the second time I had to resort to some underhanded things yeah in yeah. order to get people to wound them <laughs> get, <laughs> just like over overwhelm the team so that wounds would happen so that i could heal them yeah and then it ended up just cascading too far too yeah. fast yeah it was down to the tenebral shard trying to teleport around and pick off a guy at a time and then a random event popped up and the uh ogroid thermaturge 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 popped up and uh, then it was it was bad news. So, Ben, yeah. you've been playing Silver Tower at all, or just uh, ogling? I know you did that unboxing. Yeah, we played um, Friday night actually. I've been using the Fire Slayer most recently, just because he's I think he's the one character I've painted, and uh, he's not very good. I, I don't know. He, he might be situationally good, but generally, is you know he needs to kill a um, kill a model with resilience three or more or whatever they call it, wounds, three or more. And then that his, his buff only stays on until he either doesn't kill someone, or which probably happens quite regularly. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. He's, he's not great. I've been struggling with him, but I've enjoyed using him because he's the painted one. Nice. 
So you really just got to like throw him in to a group or there's enemies all around him in order oh, for Oh, yeah, him to and he's anything. got the weird, like he gets the extra renown when he's taking wounds, right? And, like, yeah, so. He's, he's in a weird situation, yeah. He, he has to take wounds and then, which depend on how you're playing. And if you're playing in a big party and you've got someone who can heal him, it's not too bad because, you know, he can run into the middle, he can take some wounds, get healed, he can use his axe to generate more damage by killing people mm-hmm. and then, you know, death blow is like off the app. Um, and it, it can be cool, but when you're playing just two of you and you both beat sticks, then it doesn't really do much. You know, the Stormcast does two damage all the time. D3 or yeah. D3 plus one isn't isn't that great. So we we got smashed. We played through, I think we played through the third third trial. I can't remember. Ben Johnson I was playing with, he chose the, he stacked the deck up and chose which one he was playing. Um, I just pushed my man yeah. around. And um, <laughs> we didn't do bad until we got to the final room and then the Thermiturge come out and just smashed us to pieces. And was in the <laughs> was in the chamber where um, it basically gives all the enemies a five at ward. So on a five or a six, Ooh. each wound cause is ignored until you can go and stomp on the mushrooms. Now, the Fire okay. Slayer's got agility six, so... Once you're once you're next to enemies, then there's you're no not going anywhere. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, we we unleashed a crowd. Like we walked in, and it was a an, a horror and an acolyte for every guy. So there were six blue horrors, six acolytes, and uh, somebody ran in. They they tried to trigger a bomb. Was that what was so, the item we had? Yeah. So we yeah, yeah we triggered it just, a room. It was like a dud or something. And like there was, was a ton of people. Yeah. And we had, oh, it was a basilisk. It was, he had the item was a basilisk gaze or something. It was supposed to cause damage to everybody, and he rolled awful, and they yeah. all just came out angrier and barely injured at all. For so. for about three rounds, Davy and his uh, his shade yeah. were uh, bouncing around between three different rooms, um, avoiding like sneak attacking, uh, jumping someplace else, and then the thermoturge came out, and you single handedly took yeah, him out. One rounded was... him because he was the not full up version, but then. Uh, ingloriously was taken down by like a blue horror punching me in the nose so yeah <laughs> it's been a lot of fun though a lot of fun uh, yeah what's your hobby been? my hobby what have i been up to you know what i made a list of a day i've i thought i've not really painted much this year you know i've, I've added to my chaos dwarfs a bit i've done some death and i looked in my painting cabinet rebased some dark elves and so i went down the list and i've actually since in the last seven months so just before christmas um, I've painted 50 Black Knights, 50 Graveguard, which I've actually done in the last two weeks. Um, Are you saying 5-0, five, 50? Five, 5-0 Graveguard, 5-0 Black Knights. Um, I've rebased a Carmine Dragon and a Warp Fire Dragon. I've finished painting my Warp Fire Dragon. Um, all this is in the last last fortnight. The Black Knights were before Christmas. Um, what else have I been doing? Um, since Christmas, I've also I've rebased about 100 of my Elves. I've painted most of a Stormcast army. I've painted Drazorath, um, a load of Chaos Dwarfs. And here's me thinking, I've not really painted much. <laughs> and it's just, you know, when you're, you're kind of doing, adding bits to existing projects, it doesn't feel like I've had a, a whole new project in one go. Um, particularly the Chaos Dwarfs, they've been like a slow burner for a long time. But yeah, most recently, um, 50 Grave Guard in the last few weeks. And um, even tonight, I've been working on rebasing three dragons. So a Carmine, a Warp Fire, and um, my dark, dark dragon conversion from the Phoenix. I did. I don't know if you guys might have seen this. If you, you weren't playing previous to Age of Sigmar, were you? I don't think. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, we were both playing. Yeah, yeah. All right, so anyone regular on the tournament scene and on Twitter and that sort of thing in 8th edition would have seen, probably seen my Malekith conversion. It's a black dragon yep. crossed with yep. a phoenix, painted up in shadow style. So I've rebased him to try and get him on the table. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I don't know about that. this slacker dude. Like, I think he needs to take the hobby a little more seriously, it seems. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we... We'd, <laughs> And not to mention the, like we said, the multimedia um, empire that's being built over at the TGA community. Yeah, <laughs> we'll hop back on that second. <laughs> yeah, and the club nights uh, as well. We've had a couple of, it was at War, Warhammer World last week for the late night opening. Um, and I think a fortnight before that, we had a, another club night at Derby with about 20 people. So it's all go. Nice. Right on. Nice. What about you, Eric? So uh, since our last recording, I've been working on order. So, uh, working on filling out my storm cast. I've usually just had the starter box, added some judicators. Um, so I just added some paladins because three isn't enough. Yeah, it's a little awkward. It's a little awkward. Yeah. Um, and then I did get a banner, not because I'm filthy, Yeah. Uh, but because I there's a few scenarios that I've been playing through the with the Minneapolis crew. Um, there are a lot of like a ritual type things, so you need to get a hero in close. Mm-hmm. And so I'm been trying to use it to like catapult heroes into the mix of things to try oh, and you right. know, get quick um i thought those only ever teleported 10 retributors at a that's, time they, they can teleport something else it's i mean it is like taking up driving one person in a bus okay I mean, like the fuel efficiency <laughs> isn't as as good but uh you know sometimes you just gotta hurl a dude um so um and but it's been really fun i uh kind of converting some of those um and whatnot I, I do like seeing scenarios that, you know, uh, are looking for different keywords. Like, you know, uh, you need somebody with totem keyword or priest keyword or something like that. Like that, yep. that, that adds an extra aspect to your list building. Yeah. So. And so there, there was actually a game I played uh, um, up in Minneapolis. One of the – it was a first game of AOS for a, for a guy uh, named Steven, and he had um, Slaves of Darkness. And so it was a pretty slow-moving army. He had – I want him to get all the movement phases, so we made him attacker, so he wasn't just sitting in one spot waiting. But he he had to get his demon prince up there um, to do it, and he had a plan to take and summon another demon prince. And then the scenario had if the general died, you could um, uh, call the your lieutenant to be your general, and so he was gonna like summon the demon prince and then have the first demon prince inhabit that demon prince's body and then go for oh, it. So wow. it was all very right. narrative. Right. Yeah. Now. I had another piece I've been working on is my war altar, which yeah. is basically designed to kill um, yeah. demon princes. Yeah. Uh, on anything chaos, it does double damage, so it does six damage. Yeah. So it's D3 hits, uh, two up, three up. Uh, minus one rend, unless it's a demon, then it's minus two rend. So it's two rend, six damage yeah. straight up. And uh-huh. so shooting at a demon, so for, for about so three, you three rounds. You it up on the new guy is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I <laughs> shot at everything but the demon prince until... <laughs> Until he was two two inches away from the the relic, and then last round, um, so we set it up so that at the very last round he got there, and then I had one more turn to roll to see if I got the the ritual off. Yeah, I didn't, and so I relied on all my shooting to take it out, and, <laughs> and so uh, it was. But we both had a really fun game. That's uh, cool. You know, delayed it out for you know just made it a game and made it narrative. So it was a lot of fun. Um, actually, been getting quite a few games up there. Um, but like I said, built a war altar, not totally finished, um, and actually had a, while I was up there, had somebody help me out with some airbrushing and that sort of stuff. So it went really fast, but still got to put some horses on it. All right. Um, 20 marauders turned into flagellants. 
So, yeah, it's the reformed followers of chaos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a name for them, but I can't remember it. Uh, but they've got um, there's about five of them that are wearing like helmets that have been fashioned after the storm cast. Um, their leader even has some bits of gold that the priest has allowed him to, you know, kind of carry. So, uh, so some things like that. So they all believe that if they die in combat against a greater foe, that Sigmar will reforge them. And oh. so they're just tearing into whatever. And again, in that game, I had a unit of 20, and they took out 20 marauders of the opponents in like a turn and a half kind of thing. Wow. So they just... They're, I got one rule wrong, which is part of why they were able to do that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was pretty fun. And then um, I got an airbrush for my birthday. I got the Ooh, shiny mass, mass, yeah, yeah, master performance G twenty two airbrushing system kit. Wow! So it was on uh, Amazon. Um, guys over at Models Workshop after dark had they they're always tweeting out cool things from you know hobby stuff from Amazon, and so I uh, put that on my wish list and. And got that for my birthday, and then last night I was able to kind of put it into full effect. Mm-hmm. I did a couple of test things, and I just like screw it, got some paints out, threw them in the in the thing and in the gravity feed, and just started painting. And I got twenty eight dryads base coated with three colors. Holy moly! So right. I got their base co- painted, and and then they were painted, and then a second and a third color. So four colors on the dryads. Got a tree man ancient built and painted, uh, and then. Uh, my little, some of those dwarves spray painted silver. Nice. So as a base coat. So Is it iron drakes that are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it was, it was awesome. It was, I can't say on air cause we're G rated clean cast, clean yeah. cast, how amazing it was in comparison <laughs> to painting everything by brush. Um, but yeah. Um, and so, uh, really that was, and then I guess my lament is that I've not put out any YouTube videos in, like a few months so i gotta do a couple of those before the next uh, recording right. but that's my hobby all um right. pretty fruitful all around i think yeah sound well you guys <laughs> <laughs> all right let's hop over to the community phase the community phase in the community phase we talk about news and events that are significant to age of sigma community all right, so a lot has actually happened in, since we last recorded, um, and as we mentioned, we're, we're not you we're know, not news and rumors cast. We're not, we're not trying rumors. to keep up with that. There's there's other people who are going to do it better and more extensively. Yep. So um, so yeah, Heel and Hammer they're they're always great at getting stuff. You know, uh, they're coming out twice a month and Garage Hammer. Uh, there's know, there's some other podcast. That thanks, Slayer. What is that one? Thanks, Slayer. What is that one? Yeah. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ben, you're moving into to videos Not as well, so and, and uh, so you're you're bigger than a podcast for sure, right? <laughs> yeah. um, um, and uh, I think you have to be everywhere, don't you? <laughs> it's it is important to kind well, of. And I will say know. something that you've started doing. I, uh, if people are, you know, sometimes you, you fall behind and the queue starts stacking up, but uh, you're doing like a. Uh, at least every something's come out every week it looks like so it's either the full group or you do a 20 25 minute segment so um yeah from sure. every perspective you're saying current in that sense every week now bad dice so yeah. every saturday if i can unless um i know there's something coming down the pipe on a saturday and i need to wait till a sunday so i can announce it <laughs> which happened this week with the uh the announcement of the warlords event so i knew there was going to be an announcement on the saturday um but I needed to wait and see what was announced. 
Yeah. Well, thank God we can uh, plug a struggling podcast like yours here, so you can maybe get a little more visibility. But <laughs> here's here's some other names. What uh, there's been a few other podcasts uh, that actually have popped up in the meantime. Yeah. So the the most uh, I guess the loudest one <laughs> is uh, the Bravery One Crew. It's very laka laka. <laughs> and we've uh, so they came out uh, kind of fast and furious uh, first couple of weeks. They put out like three episodes in a week or yeah, it's week been and a half. Town. And now they've been weekly. Um, and they've got a no rec- no edit policy. Yeah. Uh, also a no hit record policy. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but have been fun to listen to. They're definitely uh, a little R rated. Yeah. Um, so uh, choose when and where you're listening to that. Yeah, I get a good chuckle, and they're running through all the battle tones. Yeah, uh, which kind of it's an angle that we haven't heard taken from some other folks. So yeah, I think cool. they've been more thorough and consistent in that um, than than others, and it's a cool angle. It's yeah. a nice way to differentiate themselves too. Heralds of War down in uh, Australia. So there's no there's a Aussie uh, Warhammer podcast back on the scene. That's great to hear. So you can check them out. I think there are three episodes in at the time of our recording. They might get a fourth out before we uh, drop this. this. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we've got Tales of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. Um, they're out of uh, out of the UK as well, Newcastle. And uh, so Tales of Sigmar is a website, um, or the Twitter handle has a website where they've been doing kind of the um, what was it called? The Curse of Empires or the Battle of Empires campaign. So you post some hobby progress, some game progress, that sort of thing, and you kind of expand your territory on a map in the land of, of Gur. Yeah, so that's actually set in the realm of beasts appropriate to us today. Yeah, so uh, and now, now they've gone to a podcast. They've got two episodes out. I'm hoping they get into that campaign stuff because I, th- I think that was super cool. big addition to the community early on. Um, and then uh, just uh, this last week, um, Rolling Bad out of uh, New Mexico, U.S., um, yeah. put out a podcast and looking to kind of add their own spin, and they seem to be tournament goers and um, active in that side of things. So it'll hopefully be a, a unique spin and, and some more English speakers, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, and then uh, obviously one of the things that we've been uh, – always every every month we're spending time on is the tga.community um put together by our uh our it's co-host TGS. this time yeah. uh ben uh how's the tga community been going there sir yeah so i think it's been going really well i've i set myself a couple of targets of where i wanted to be out by now and um we was nowhere near them because obviously i went crazy um, <laughs> but in all seriousness um yeah, all I wanted was, you know, people to use the site and to be able to connect. And if you're playing and you find out that there's another gaming group nearby, you can hook up and you expand your own gaming group. And one of the things I saw a lot of was people asking, when I knew full well there was clubs in their towns and their cities, people asking, how can they find local gamers? And it seemed to make no sense to me, especially when you've got the Facebook groups, like the Age of Sigma Facebook group with four or 5,000 members. Um and places like that aren't allowing you to promote your local communities. You're not allowed to go there and promote your gaming club. You're not allowed to promote events. So the biggest places where you do go to talk about Warhammer, you're not really allowed to promote your local groups. So I thought there's definitely scope for people to come in and do that sort of connecting. And um, it's going really well. Um, I'm really happy with it. There seems to be a great community over there. There's some amazing photos in the gallery. Um, there's some great podcasts in the podcast section. Um, the blogs, it's, it's all been used. And then there's just general Warhammer discussions as well, which is um, also kind of a byproduct of getting all these various communities together. 
Yeah, I will say my first instinct was when I heard about it, I was like, really? A, a forum? That seems like the days of forums have passed. But this, uh, I don't know if it's, I'm not a super tech guy, but whatever whatever software it's set up for, it doesn't it doesn't feel like forums have passed. Like it's a lot more friendly as far as letting you know when something's been posted. I don't know. It it, it seems to it seems like a forum for the you know 2016 and onwards rather than a, a throwback to something older. So I've appreciated that about being on there. And we'll talk uh, more about uh, touch base on that a little bit when we get into our um, community. No, sorry. Our hero phase. Yeah. Um, we'll <laughs> highlight a little bit about uh, kind of group, team building or uh, group building and stuff. So um, then a couple of really cool things have come out of Games Workshop. Um, and these are, I think, really specific, you know, highlight, really work with what our show does. Um, and that's, first of all, is the General's Handbook. Inbound. Um, uh, it's coming soon, um, hopefully this summer. And... You know, the, the cool things there is, one, we've got our open play, which is what we've had from the beginning. And, and from our first episode, I mean, part of what stirred us to mm-hmm. play Age of Sigmar was that open play. Because we were already kind of ditching points in order to create our own scenarios, create our own stories, and, and that sort of thing. And I think it's a, it's a lesson that the community, I think, has learned some valuable lessons from playing in an open play system. Um, all the creative stuff that's come out of the community to help people play in different ways. It will be adding a narrative um, campaign system. This is the one I'm I'm excited for, and something that we already are not. I, I'd like to have be doing it a little more ourselves because you have like the triumphs table for if you're playing yep. different things. We we haven't taken advantage of that. It'd be cool to get a little more continuity with the games we get going. So. Yep, and then um, the match play system, yeah. which uh, is uh, from what we've heard at the Bad Taste podcast <laughs> uh, and some of the others that are out there. Uh, is going to go back to kind of a, a point system, uh, war scroll points, as opposed to maybe individual um, model points. Yeah, um, who knows? We'll we'll see when it drops. But, but. but somewhere closer to the two thousand points per you know for a your average you know few hour couple hour game uh, type of thing. So um, I think everyone's really excited about it. I think the community as a whole is kind of electrified by it. Um, and either if it's uh, was part of game work games workshops plan to do that eventually or in response to some of the community leaving with a lack of points, I'm pretty excited either way at their response. So, Yeah. What else we got coming down the line? We got the summer campaign? Yeah. So yeah. part of, I think, as a celebration of that release, uh, Games Workshop's putting on a summer campaign. This is called The Season of War. What will we be fighting for? And uh, if you go to their Facebook page, they just have a, an image with some text, and it reads, In the realms of life... Three cities rose, bastions of order emerged from the desolation of chaos. But had the forces of Sigmar been too keen to establish their claim in Garan? A season of war comes, one that will decide if these cities will flourish into something greater or be cast down by the vengeful hosts of jealous gods. Muster your forces and be ready. The campaign begins July 14th. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Ben, so Eric here, Storm of Chaos, and that that sort of thing predates his yeah, involvement in the hobby. I have but no scars from that. Is it? <laughs> well, uh, how do you feel about the? Because we've done this before, where we're, uh, but quite a long time ago now. If it, I in my head it feels recent, but I, I was looking at it on paper. It's actually been a while. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, it is a long time ago. Into it, I actually yeah. took a break from the hobby, so I got into the game oh, when I was a kid and played for years, and then. You know, like most people, seem, um, follow a similar path. 
Um, I took a bit of a break around in the hobby, and then I came back just at the time that the um, Storm of Chaos campaign was wrapping up. So I kind of got to see the armies. I saw what had happened, and but I never really took part in the campaign. Uh, I like the idea of it. I think it could be really cool. It, from what I've seen, it's I'm not sure if your gaming clubs can... You can play in your club and then just submit the results online, or if you have to go into the stores mm-hmm. and do it like directly with your store oh, manager. See. I'm not sure on that. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they work that. Um, in yeah. you know, in the age of the apps and all things like that, I'd imagine they'd do an app, but uh, I'd also imagine yeah. that they wouldn't, if you know what I mean. So it, it'd be sure. really interesting if there was an app for it and it was really interactive. It could be very cool. Um, but e- either way, it's still good to have more more stuff coming for Age of Sigma. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the, you know, in this age of smartphones and apps, like that's one thing that uh, works to its advantage. I think another is the setting. So back when we did this in the world that was, they there was some amount of status quo to be maintained regardless of the results of that. And so they didn't have the ability to change. But here, like not only is it a new setting, but it's a setting that we see change from campaign book to campaign book. So yep. uh, the fact that the results of this campaign, like it, it gives you more sense of, the results of the campaign actually having some kind of impact moving forward. Yeah, that's, like that's pretty we, fun. we can affect three cities in the realms yeah. without necessarily changing right. like their whole product line. Yeah. Right. If if in the previous one things had rolled out where Grimgore, you know, had killed knocked over uh, Archeon and yeah. you know it was all done. It, that changes the whole story. Like that changes everything about like yeah. The, if Middenheim goes down, and all of a sudden, like your armies of the Orkenheim. White Wolf don't. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, so. But this way, I mean, they're they're you can have a big feel like a big impact without it. I mean, the realms are are so much bigger, mm-hmm. um, and so it's cool to have an impact, but you know, not change the entire. Uh, I think story right. right? Um, whether or not Archeon exists or is dead, right? We're not deciding that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're deciding the fate of three. Um, cities, so I think that's going to be cool. I think everyone's going to get pretty excited about it, even, you know, depending on how much we can participate, etc. But uh, um, a couple other things um, in July, Warhammer Winkley, uh, Vince Venturella, they're going to, they're sorry, it's the PMP, uh, Painters Motivating Painters uh, G- Google Plus group, um, led by Vince, um, is going to be starting a, a challenge in uh, July. So if you're interested in some challenges, that's a good place to go. Yeah, and then Tyler Mangle, friend of the show. Um, it had published his Endless Desert. Yeah. Um, and it, it, his website, um, I have that pulled up. One of the coolest fan supplements that is, you know, possibly out there. Uh, but you can grab it at uh, com and Mengel is spelled M-E-N-G-E-L and miniatures as you'd expect. And you'll be able to find it from there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, oh, actually, that's wrong. Or you can just go on the internet and like look at anything or, or Age of yeah, Sigmar yeah. related, and he's there. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's true. literally he everywhere on all the forums, so, Facebook groups. Yeah, the Endless Deserts. Blogspot.com. Sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> I had the wrong one pulled up. Um, so yeah, I mean, so again, so much stuff coming out from the community. This last uh, kind of gap between recording has been. Uh, fantastic for new stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. And you're talking about these new podcasts and the existing ones. Uh, for me, it's it's getting to be more than I can necessarily keep up with, but that's not a bad thing. You know, pe- people can find what uh, what podcast matches what they're looking for. So, uh, you know, if you are particularly invested in the Australian scene, you know, then all of a sudden 
Heralds of War is your is your one to check out. If you if you like it goofy and loose, then uh, then Bravery One can be where you're where you're looking for. So I I, I just think it's a it's, a it's great. Yeah, and it I think it's almost an indirect assessment of the health of the game. You know, the fact that there's excitement in so many corners that uh, people are, are firing this podcast up, so. per capita. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> nice. Uh, awesome to hear. All right. Why don't we head into the story phase? The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. All right. So we are jumping into War Beast by Gav Thorpe. And this is uh, one of the, uh, this is the second, I guess, novel um, full length that we've uh, read on the show. And man, it takes, it's not a bad story to get through by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but when you're used to these short, kind of fast stories that introduce a character, show you a few battles, and move on, um, moving to a story that adds so much depth to the characters and gives you a lot of different kind of scenes and places to move around to get to know them um, is definitely a, a rewarding but also um, <laughs> time-consuming experience. Yeah, especially if you're trying to record and take notes and all that sort of thing. And and I'll say, I may have said this before, I I feel like a lot of this fiction works at its very best when it's in the sort of short story format. Uh, you get the core of that great idea and, and move along. And not to say I didn't enjoy this, I certainly did, and there's lots of awesome stuff. Uh, but maybe it's uh, akin to my Army ADD or something like that where I like to, I like to grab a piece and then move along. Uh, so... Uh, that uh, yeah definitely contributed to uh, stretching this out a little bit. But uh, what do you say we jump in here to chapter one? All right. So in chapter one, we're introduced to um, a, a very kind of we're not given a lot of background. We're in a very cold setting on top of a mountain, next to some ruins of an ancient castle. Um, it tells us that we're on the Ursengarad mountains. There's a uh, gatehouse, just a broken gatehouse, and there is a clan, a uh, some tribes people sitting here, and and you can, I don't know, gather some things about them. Uh, they yeah, have, as they start detailing it out, you can kind of piece it together, like, oh, you know, these they got bones hanging from here, and they got hide tents, and the things that they're eating are are. You know, pretty Pro- gnarly over the campfire. So yeah, soylent green for sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and they've even got some slaves tied up, and they're just um, in this cold, bitter snow. And all of a sudden, uh, the storms are kind of growing around them. And the the leader of of this crew, um, the Gore Maiden, comes out of her tent to kind of see what's happening because there's just this real tension in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's great, and I think, you know, when we first started reading this and, um, you know, just having such a, I don't know, the, the, the bloodbound, um, the, the Reavers, all this kind of stuff is such a male dominated space. So to have uh, a strong female in this, in this kind of role, um, is pretty cool. So I, I give a a two points for making the the leader a, a woman and, uh, deduct one point for making her a little bit stereotypically like 
bare midriff, you know, kind of lascivious sort of thing. I was like, oh man, you know, just make her brutal. And I don't need this, you know. To be has a bunch of consorts. To be fair, all the bloodbound are midriff wearers. I mean, to be that's fair, right? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I also did like here is that they they refer to uh, the blood god as Kronra. Uh, Right. This is this harkens back a little bit. You've seen this before, but you know these these chaos gods are vast and you know to some extent or completely unknowable yeah and uh depending on what realm you're in or perhaps where you are in any given realm you're gonna you're gonna call that chaos god by a different name i think it really kind of drives home the fact that it's such a huge thing yeah they Um, may be so far removed either from distance or when was the last time they actually saw someone who you know represented corn directly um you know or even is this a there's a sense of some demigods uh, throughout yep. the story as well. Um, so yeah, and and the uh, as this lightning storm is happening out of the sky, a single bolt pierces um, about a hundred feet away from where the camp is, and um, when the bolt dissipates uh, from the flash of light and everybody kind of covering their eyes, they see a single figure and. Gav does this interesting thing where he, throughout the story here and there, he counts things in heartbeats. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because it adds to kind of the real kind of uh, visceral and some of the, the kind of beast nature that, that goes throughout the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and this uh, this person is Arcus Warbeast. And he's kind of thinking to himself already, kind of, you know, he's he can... This is his first time coming back to the land of Gur, and we find out that he's that he's from here, um, and he can feel the magic of Gur, kind of like trying to get into him, mm-hmm. um, and almost instantly we're hit with a flashback. Um, now this is you know we've we've gotten these before, um, and and Warbeast does some things differently. Gav does some things a little bit differently with this book, and we've it's interesting because we've heard interviews with uh, Gav Thorpe um, both on um, Heel and Hammer and on Combat Phase mm-hmm. talking a bit about how, you know, while we're getting these books in some sort of chrono- chronological order, the authors did not necessarily have an opportunity to read each other's things mm-hmm. um, before writing their own. So there's some overlapping things um, that we'll get to or see, but also to see their their different take on it that was not maybe influenced by somebody else. Yeah, and one thing that I like, not to uh, slow us down too much here, but the uh, one thing I liked about this idea of it is that uh, these guys are kind of working on their novels in parallel, maybe, and uh, it's it's an almost collaborative way of making the fiction where you know people are contributing their own take, and it's just like just like when you're making your games, you know, it's a collaborative piece of storytelling. Uh, so I think when I approached it that way, it made a lot more a lot a lot of sense to me as far as you know, a building a world, but building it from the many perspectives of people who are thinking about it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Absolutely. So Arcus's flashback is uh, to him as Arca, the bear clad. He was the best warrior uniter over of over a dozen tribes. Um, it names some of these tribes. And I think when uh, speaking on Heel and Hammer, the sense is that these are some of the um, Kislevian kind of tone to them, a little bit mm-hmm. of a, a hussar and, and Russian um, kind of theme to them. Right. Uh, he didn't have a, a huge army, um, but 
at the point where he's uh, reflecting, he's standing atop of a castle um, next to a gatehouse, and the walls have are are tall but have suffered some damage, and uh, is he's being sieged by um, Skaven. And um, the the term they use, and again, kind of back to this pronunciation, they call them the, um, oh, what's the term? Pestilence? Pestilence, yeah. So that was a cool yeah, so variation just a, on it. Same thing. You know, your different realm, you might call it slightly different. Obviously. Exactly. So, and he's got, you know, a few thousand warriors here to kind of protect. And as the the kind of Skaven are kind of approaching, he he can he, he recalls this foul the warp storm the 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 smells um, and it, the the very first thing that happens is not only are there kind of skaven slaves starting to climb up the walls but he sees off in the distance a ghoul tribe um, is pouring over from the mountains so there's an interesting you know grouping and and uh, kind of working together of some different armies um, yeah on, i couldn't on the quite side. decide if this these were legit like flesh eater courts ghouls although this would have been written before flesh eater courts really existed or if this was they were just calling these nurgle worshippers ghouls hmm. uh, i i couldn't uh piece together whether these are death dudes or or nurgle dudes or you know who knows maybe something in between sure so as that initial and, and they count something like 15,000 plus rats versus their, you know, few thousand um, uh, humans and, and kind of tribesmen, uh, but not, not chaos tainted defending. So flashback to the current time with uh, Arcus. So Arcus and Arca, an interesting thing is, I mean, always these, the, the old name and the new name are similar, mm-hmm. um, but here they're, they're uh, like it's such a short name that it's it's super similar. Yeah, I mean, it seems to often just uh, involve changing the last name to include an S at the end, like yeah, you know, Vandis or you know, I don't know. They it, 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 uh, somebody could do some uh, looking into the naming conventions and the etiology of all these, but uh, that's for the uber duper age of Sigmar nerds. <laughs> we'll let Aaron do that. All right. Um. So. We're, uh, oh, sorry, continuing in the flashback. It, that was one of the things that this book, when you're reading it, it feels better going back and forth and back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a, it has a good rhythm to it. As we're, we're, you know, talking about it, I thought it might be good to just kind of be a little bit smoother with this. So, mm-hmm. but I forgot, so I messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> so staying in the flat, the flashback, um, kind of in the distance, um, Arcus sees a large figure kind of coming out behind the rocks and some other things, and it's a vermin lord. Yeah. Um, and as the vermin lord approaches, uh, this warp storm and smoke and clouds come wafting over the the precipice of the walls, and uh, a woman named Radamira collapses, mm-hmm. and blood starts running from her eyes. And she's been established as a couple things. One, she's kind of like a, a seer, like as a uh, sort of a spiritual leader uh, or sp- some role as a spiritual leader or advisor and uh, also as, as uh, Arca's stepmother. And uh, his mother also died the same way, you know, brought down by the, the plague winds and the plague um, poisons. And so he's, he's experiencing this again. And uh, as, as all these sort of unconventional weapons that the 
Pestilenzi are, are known for are being brought to bear. You know, all of a sudden, it's even even with the weight of numbers, now it's even looking more grim. Yeah. And and he's, you know, n- now that he recognizes that his mother died from the same thing, he'd already sworn a, sworn a vow to seek vengeance upon all Ratkin and had picked up his mother's axe and um, now seeing Radamirid falling to the same, you know, he's even more enraged um, and ready to just kind of give his life, um, his last breath to hew down as many of these rats as possible. And um, uh, the vermin Lord kind of sees him, um, throws his staff and a bolt of, of warp energy towards him, breaking the rock and uh, stone wall beneath his feet. And just as the, the blast kind of starts shifting his, him towards falling, um, he he's kind of looking up at the same time because he's seeing the storm above him and a lightning bolt comes down and pulls him uh, up into uh, what we know now to be Azir. Mm-hmm. And what was super interesting and kind of shocking is that uh, it didn't seem like this was his time to go. Yeah, I mean, he was in a he was in probably a, a low chance of winning this, but it wasn't it wasn't like he was grabbed right at the instant before his death, which is what we've come to expect for a lot of these. Yeah, I think when uh, I threw this question out at Gav over email, he was I would I just mentioned we were covering it, and he reached out over over Twitter and said, "Hey, feel free to ask some questions." And you know, I asked him about it, and his reflection is his kind of the reason he kind of made some 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 sorry the reason he sigmar has taken arcus during this time isn't so much um because all you know stormcasts are taken at that time of death but his the way gav's looking at it is that there's such a span of time in which um sigmar is collecting heroes and there's such a, a variety of needs that that time of of taking them could have an effect on what kind of stormcast they become. Right. So it shapes, it shapes what he's getting. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, but what, what's interesting is that on one hand, it feels like, you know, it's always seemed a little justified, um, that he's taken out that moment of death and he's saving them. Mm -hmm. Um, but as we'll see a little bit later, you know, uh, you know, there's already some critique on Sigmar for having left the realms and, yep. and leaving man to to defend themselves, but then you know snatching up heroes at the time of death seems like well, you know I'm just saving them to fight another day, uh, but taking them before they're you know at that point is he robbing the the realm of further successes without him, right? Right. So, um, we flash forward um, to the current time. And Arcus um, is uh, running forward towards the Bone Keepers. And mm-hmm. he cuts through the first few, no problem. He even, uh, I think, takes uh, takes down the, um, kind of uh, hits the Gore Maiden pretty hard and, and knocks her back. But she gets some blows in as well. She's faster and more nimble. He lands a blow and instantly some of you know her followers are on top of him. He battles them off, of course, um, takes her and, and kind of, you know, battle thing, blocks with a hammer, slices with a sword, and, and beheads her. 
and the bone keepers go running. Like everyone who's left are shocked and they go running. And uh, Arcus raises his hammer to the sky and he calls out uh, for his his storm host to, to meet him there. And down come more bolts of lightning and other Stormcast, his, his war beasts, are coming down to meet him. And uh, we're introduced to Dolomatis, Knight Vexilor, so man with the banner, and Dork, I think Dorkden, Knight Herelder. I am almost positive you have a typo there. I think he's Doradin. I don't think it was that ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, Doradin, the Knight Heralder. And uh, they come down and kind of, uh, I guess, berate him a little bit for taking it on his own. Um, but then he makes a joke about, you know, having left some for them. So, you know, to to order the the Stormcast to chase down the remaining Bone Keepers to the last man and woman. Yeah, this is very Celestial Vindicators where they sort of value the savagery and impetuousness over maybe some of the more disciplined combat, you know, because if he comes in with all his guys, then all of a sudden they're not chasing Bloodbound to heck and beyond all over the place trying to find where they ran to. Instead, they have them surrounded and wipe them out. Now, now his guys have to get some cardio in running these dudes down. Uh, but, you know, but it's, it's their, it's their character. And so they, they are stronger for other, in other aspects uh, because of it. So. And then in the next chapter, uh, you know, the, the, we meet somebody who's the exact opposite of what you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, here we have the arrival of the silver hands, uh, a retinue of the Knight Excelsiors led by Thuderus silver hand. And these are Knight Excelsiors. So the white armor, um, blue pauldrons, um, and the way they describe them coming out of uh, this realm gate, kind of a ways away from where the war beasts have landed. The war beasts have landed on the mountain of uh, Usengarad, and they the the silver hands have landed outside of the mountain, so down in a plateau or or down in the plains. Um, and they come marching out in these kind of perfect lines. So if anybody wants to go back to rank and flank. The Knight Ex- yeah. Excelsior would love to facilitate that for you. Yeah. Um, and th- what's so interesting is that they're not, so they're, they're coming out of this realm gate and they're kind of forming up into lines and basically, yeah, literally not only just ranks and flanks, but the, their formations kind of emulate um, a, a castle, right? Mm-hmm. And I forgot to mention um, what we find out when Arcus is fighting is that where he's at is the place he was taken from. So, right. so that castle, that gatehouse, is where he's taken from. And then as we move to Thuderus, they're kind of marching, and they're, they're building a castle with their formations. Um, they, you know, the Angelos Conclave are the outer defense. The Paladin are the, uh, the Barbican, the, so terms that I'm not used to saying. Um, the Redeemer Conclave are the gatehouse, and Thuderus and the commanders kind of create a central keep um, inside of that formation. Um, and it mentions that they were able to form this without anybody directing them. Like they've been mm-hmm. drilled and drilled and drilled, um, you know, to, to, uh, sharp edge. Um, and when they go to March from there, when they march out towards the mountain, they keep this formation, they move as there's rocks or different 
land uh, markings kind of jutting out or kind of getting in their path, they reform to move around it and then come back together when they're on the other side of it. So a very mechanical clockwork type of um, kind of regiment here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but just kind of back to that, like the the very different from what we're getting from Arcus Warbeast. Right. Discipline, right. Yep. So first place they go uh, is a nearby citadel. Um, and there it's garrisoned by Lord Castellant uh, Neros, Stormfather. Um, mm-hmm. They're part of the Knight of Excelsior uh, Silverhand Strike Chamber. They're just a different um, uh, storm host. And they're specifically there as a um, reinforcements. Mm-hmm. They've been staged here. They've taken the wrong gate that they just came through. Um, we f- figure out that the, what the two um, storm hosts need to do is go into the heart of Ursengarod, find a realm gate that has been captured there, free it, um, and, you know, the two of them working in, you know, kind of the Warbeast going and freeing it up and then the Silver Hands being able to hold it uh, in time for, and, and be able to bring this, um, uh, bring Nero Stormfather's host over and be able to secure this uh, Realm Gate because it travels into Garan. And, mm-hmm. and the place that it enters there is not far from another realm gate, which enters into the all gates. So this is very much, um, you know, kind of setting us up very, very blatantly that this is a massive um, stronghold, uh, you know, that they can, if they gain this footing, it gives them a real advantage militarily going into a future battle. Right. And as, as they've been alluding to, the all gates are the, are the, major overarching strategic goal that Sigmar is, is working towards. So all these, you know, it's, it's about these, but his, his big next step is if I can get the all gates, then I can really make some headway. So. Yep. So we get, uh, Thuderus's flashback and what we get is, uh, Thuderus, um, but what he, he was known as Thuderic and he's flying over a battle riding on a Hippodon. Have you heard of a Hippodon yet in, Warhammer? Nope, that's new to me. So it is a, it's like a, it's a winged dragon of some sort. It breathes flames, um, and he's watching as some of his knights are kind of chasing um, some of kind of some chaos tainted what they called altar folk. Yeah, is it all right if I think about this as like a back, bat-winged hippo? I know, I know, a hippo is like <laughs> referencing horses, but uh. <laughs> I, I mean, so on that, I mean, it could be a fire-breathing Pegasus. Yeah, you know, um, and what's interesting about some of what we talk about is is you can picture some of the free peoples, uh, even Bretonia, in some of um, the the description of this flashback. Um, right, absolutely. So they're they're kind of pressing back the altar folk. Um, they're um, destroying the these Vulpus riders. They've got jezzeliers and grenaders with magically wrought explosives. And yeah, Gav really flexed the uh, the vocab on this section here. <laughs> um, and so they, they break the enemy, they um, chase them down, and they destroy them. And it feels like you're at the end of, you know, just one battle. But it turns out that we're seeing the very end of a long campaign, mm-hmm. that they've um, finally flushed out all of the chaos taint in this area. Um, and then we have... 
Thuderis, um, sorry, Thuderic, um, coming back to kind of down this long road back to his castle. And it is lined with men flying flags from many different keeps. Um, sorry, soldiers, men and women, I'm sure, from many different keeps, um, you know, f- kind of showing off what makes them unique. And this is where, like, the heraldry seems very, um, very Bretonian. It feels very, you know, men at arms and, and you know, such. So, um, and what we find out is that the reason they're flying so many different flags is because not only has he been able to protect his own castle and keep, but he's, by giving himself to these other surrounding keeps, he's been able to kind of share knowledge and tactics and resources to, to fight off chaos where they're at and kind of create this, again, a, a, like War Beast, like Arcus, be a unifier of a number of different tribes, in, but in a, in a much more um, you know, knightly kind of way. Sure. Um, and back again where uh, Arca is, uh, you know, a uniter of tribes and people with their more crude means of fighting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Thuderic has joined people who are very warlike and, you know, been able to master horses and hippodons, I guess. So, yeah. um, and so he comes in, he sees people, he goes up uh, to the kind of tower to address this crowd of people. He has an exchange with his wife and two daughters, uh, finds out that his wife is pregnant uh, with a third and, you know, maybe he'll finally have time to spend with his daughters. They ask, uh, hey, dad, can we spend time? You know, breaks a dad's heart right there. Hey. Uh, and as he's about to address the crowd, he also sees um, a storm gathering above him in a peculiar way. And he is struck by lightning. And as he's taken up, he can see kind of everything, mo- him moving away from everything. And I guess, you know, losing what you know everything's right in front of him that he's losing and he finds feels himself just dissipate and and uh become uh one with the storm yeah and at its core this is so besides this idea that sigmar did take people like this is this is even more so than arca getting yanked he, he was he'd already won like he was he had his victory and was about to get his just reward so this is even more so you know getting pulled before what we traditionally think is the time for somebody to be you know, pulled up and reforged um but also importantly this guy's history is in the realm of metal and here he's being cast into the realm of beasts we're used to the idea of people like arca or vandus or um, gardas returning to the realms and facing the foes that they they fought before yeah uh, not so for theodorus and uh again like gav was was saying in his uh, message to you you know this is probably intentional right you know it's you, if you pull a guy at the height of his power and send him somewhere that he wasn't engaged in, you're going to get a different, you know, you're going to get pulled different emotional levers uh, and, and have a different storm cast as a result of it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and, and it really hits home, I think, too, that this is war. And while, while I want to be like, you know, hey, Sigmar, you should have only taken them when they were about to die, you know, that's, that's when they could be yours. I mean, they're, it's kind of like, Oh, is is it, are you going to throw that away? Let me take that, you know, kind of thing. But here it's like, this is war, you know, he's deciding to take this uh, general who's obviously, yeah, has a ton of talent and, you know, take him while he's good, while he's in his prime, you know, and can be a, a uniter maybe, 
in uh, in the storm host. Um, we get to we go back to Arcus, and he's standing on the spot, the very spot in which he ascended, and he can still feel um, the celestial energy there, and um, he can feel uh, kind of the mountain, if you would. Mm -hmm. There's this he calls it the shadow shadow gulf Mm -hmm. deep down underneath um and once thought sacred but now covered you know like gnawed in into through the with the skaven gnawing their burrows in there and and holes and they need to get down there kind of just again they need to get down there to to free this up but arcus has a plan um he can i don't know if he senses her he just knows that he this, things have changed since he's been gone. It's been, uh, you know, a few hundred years. And so he seeks out and he's assured that this person is still there and it's the queen of the peak. Again, mm-hmm. somebody of power um, that's, you know, not one of the gods we know, um, one of the gods that has been shown to us in the mortal realms, but someone of crazy power. Um, and so he sets off with his storm host to go and and find her. Um not knowing what her alliance is, not knowing what her reaction is going to be to them, um, and a little bit to the behest of his commanders. So, um, right, and he's not. I mean, he's playing it close to his chest. He's not really revealing what connection or why he knows or anything like that. So, yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's secret from us, but it's also secret to everybody except for him at this point. Yep. So we're going back to to Thuderis then. And mm-hmm. as they're uh, hitting the, the foothills and they start getting into the mountains, there's some really cool description of these mountains. Um, there's, a, there's a frozen wall as they're marching a kind of into a crevice or up a kind of a, a pathway that splits up into the mountains. There's this frozen wall encasing the dim shapes of gigantic beasts, their bones and their carcasses. And then a, a shark-like apparition uh, that lives within the solid ice, um, swims through it. Um, and, and I am imagining like, uh, you know, comes to the, where they're at and grins really big with its shark like teeth. <laughs> right. Um, there's gigantic blue needled trees that seem to move imperceptibly to close off passages. Um, and there's, uh, you know, so as they're moving through it, the landscape seems to change a little bit and shift itself and kind of confuses them. Um, and there's there's evidence of human and Dwarden strongholds um, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll we'll say that a, a number of times, like abandoned Dwarden strongholds, and we've seen that in a couple other places. And uh, besides the fire slayers, if, if you've read the fiction there, you know there's there's some other Dwarden societies. We've seen survivors of the human societies. We haven't we've yet to see any Dwarden except the Fire Slayers, and even those at, at this point in the Realm Gate Wars are are not haven't actually put in a showing just in the sort of legends book. Yep. Um, we've seen them a little bit in some of the, the campaign books, but uh so it, it begs the question, you know, do do the Dwarden other than the Fire Slayers exist out there somewhere? Yeah. They're they're thumbprints all over the place, but you know, in, in all the realms. It just uh we haven't actually seen any survivors of those yet. Yep. And as they're climbing up into the mountain uh further, all of a sudden, like out of the blue, uh, the ground trembles and one of the cliffs that they're walking near falls away. Um and some of the storm host just falls, just 
starts careening down uh, uh, with rocks kind of crushing them down below. Right. Full on, and uh, you're getting lightning arcing up out of this, and it comes to rest. And uh, and it is, it'll it'll reinforce this idea uh, later, but as they're, as they're trying to rescue guys, they're seeing it's not right away. You know, some guys have been crushed, and it takes them a little while to die. So they're under this huge pile of rocks, and then you're seeing lightning arc up you know, minutes after the rock fall. So some of these guys are dying slow underneath there and painfully. And some, uh, there's even a adjudicator who's too crippled to fight when he's uncovered and asks, and Theodorus has to, has to, uh, perform a sort of mercy killing and send him back to the reforging. Yep. Um, and I, I, back in one of the earlier books, I remember this where, uh, uh, where Relictor, um, I don't know, Cripborn had to, had to put a guy out of his misery and the, the guy was like, "No, wait, what's going to happen?" Well, this one, this one is a little more uh, conviction with it. He's like, "You know, do it. You got to do it. You know, I can't help you anymore, and you know, give me a chance to help again." So, yep. Um, but yeah, they take some heavy casualties. Like half the paladins, quarter of all their their strength. This is before they've this this storm host hasn't even encountered an enemy yet, right? Absolutely. And what we I forgot to mention is uh, uh, we have our second Lord Celestine riding a Drakoth. Mm. Um, so. Uh, Lord uh, Thuderix has uh, Tyrothrax is his Drakoth, and um, she is almost lost in this as well. Um, so they manage to recover her. And as um, Thuderix is looking back up the mountain, kind of, you know, with, I imagine the sky like silhouetting the, the cliff face, it, he can see like it looks like the face of a bear um, looking down at them. And as the, the sun kind of moves... It kind of that that illusion or whatever he saw, kind of you know how, uh, you know the sun changes the you know cast shadows and differently yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what seemed like it was there, kind of moves away, but it it's very apparent to them that that there's something here. Like this is not normal, um, and they've got to be even more careful. Um, as Arcus is going towards the. Queen of Peaks, they encounter um, a large band of chaos warriors on the on a frozen lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's clear that they have set up, they're like set up as a, a blocking position and attempt for anyone who's trying to get in to uh, to see the Queen of Peaks. So they, they know she's valuable, basically. Um not Whether or not they're specifically trying to stop this storm host, this is this is their goal. Is right. To, uh, that, they, that they've set up down. there regardless. Like if I'm sure that they know about the storm cast in general, do they know about this particular, you know, mm-hmm. the war beasts, they've, you know, whatnot. Um, but certainly they know that, yeah, they are a blockade. If they can't have her, if chaos can't have her power, nobody can kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there's a cool... I think it's a very cool battle where not only describing like before it even gets into like who hits who and whatnot, um, there's some cool formation and they call it kind of a trident formation. And so Arcus is in the middle. Um, Doradin is on one side. Dolmetis is on the other side and they were leading their own paladins and uh, warriors and just kind of how they strike, you know, they talk about how, you know, there's some flanking moves and how they, instead of hitting, they're able to deflect one of the enemy units and hit a different enemy unit. So it felt very like on the board, um, like it, sure. like it would, could play out on the table. So that was kind of yeah. interesting and neat. And this is, there's another kind of cool variation from what we're used to seeing where there's, 
there's the chaos champion and it goes into great length about him but he and Arcus are dueling uh, Arcus manages to knock him down and then rather than you know making sure that there's a big dramatic duel and finish and decapitation this retributors jump in and just pound the heck out of this guy when he's down <laughs> it was <laughs> and it, it even makes mention is like you know you know glory is glory is selfish you know let's as long as as long as the deed is done it doesn't matter who who does it so. yeah there's no honor here there's no like yeah. um i have to be the one that kills them i mean it's just right. it's savage it was a little yeah that particular in particular like yeah he gets knocked down and then he just gets like you know gang beat up you know it's nuts so mm-hmm. um and as they're kind of cleaning up after this battle um funeral pyres and or you know they're starting to burn some of the bodies um arcus sees that symbols of the great horned rat and um kind of pestilence there and he remembers you know what that took from him and his his oath and he says instead of just burning the bodies he says burn it all like every right. all the huts that there are that are there all the the belongings of the the warriors like just get rid of all of it don't let any of it stand yeah and this is shocking to him and it's a it's a surprise to us too because this is the first time there's any evidence that humans would worship the great horned rat yeah you know when uh, age of sigmar dropped it's like oh the great horned rat became part of the pantheon of chaos but you know that was just kind of left at that You're like yeah it's probably just this gaven you know either the, they're the you know lowly uh, expendable rank and file but this is the first that we're seeing that okay well great horn rat is drawing worship from above and beyond just you know skaven so in chapter eight we get introduced to um a new uh, a setting that we've that's neither of the war beasts or the silver hands we're down in a cavern and it kind of slowly describes how the darkness is kind of moving and there's this tide of mangy furred bodies there's the sounds of mining and whipping. If you look around, there's uh, scaffolding. There's warp lamps. Rocks are being passed from Skaven to Skaven and cast up into the overworld. They're excavating something. And a gong sounds. And there's a procession of plague monks and spite vermin. Uh, that's another name or reference to um, a group that I've not heard and I think there's storm vermin mm-hmm. um being kind of was, yeah i thought it was just kind of a named cohort of storm storm vermin yeah. but i thought it was it was kind of cool um but it would be kind of cool if storm vermin had different rules based on you know the the god they served which we or the version of the storm the horned rat um but there's a, a full procession and um at the back kind of what it's leading into is uh a, a black shrouded figure uh, surrounded by six plague priests and each with a warpstone tipped staff and Felk has the largest rod uh, with five human skulls and warp with warpstone eyes and a jabbering jawbone as he moves so one of the skulls it looks like it's talking and this is Poxmaster Felk yeah and it's a very escaping thing for the place of pride uh, to be at the rear you know, yeah. lead from the <laughs> rear the safest spot exactly where you can stab everyone else in the back if you need to or run away if you also need to so yep there's a good little touch there. So, and and we see that in this space that there is a they're uncovering uh, the gate, uh, a realm gate, and this is something that this is obvious that this is what um, Arcus and Thuderus are here for. Um, Felk leaves for another part of the space, and we 
you kind of see this immense kind of tower mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just surrounded by scaffolding again and at the top of it, um, a large gong. Um, and it seems like there's a, a hole up into the, the, the overworld. And uh, he refers to this as the withering canker. Uh, there's a rope that holds a hammer and 300 slaves are waiting there for the command to work the hammer to, to hit the gong. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plague furnaces and smoke spewing everywhere. Um, so Felk is then startled by the presence presence of an Eshen scout named Thriss. And Thriss comes up um, all along through this. And obviously as you're, it's Skaven, so they're constantly kind of wary of each other. And so he asks Felk to come alone with him. Felk refuses at first because obviously he's going to assassinate him, right? right. Um, and he insists, and so he goes with him. Uh, and they witness, they're able to see that the, the silver hands are down the mountain a little ways. And it's their, they, they kind of confirm um, this presence of the Stormcast. And, you know, kind of makes any kind of, I guess, secret approach or, you know, unseen approach or surprise element that the Stormcast would have had um, kind of moot. Um, And um, he's pretty displeased at this, but has got plans and thinks he can take them. All right. Uh, We move back to Arcus. He's in a blizzard kind of uh you know like any place right i think every if if you ask anybody about weather and regardless of where they live they'll say weather just changes like crazy where i'm from Um, but that's just what weather does um and so well and here appropriately he's pushing into the queen of the peak who seems to be some kind of ice possessed of some sort of ice magic so the closer he gets obviously the the more wintry it's going to get yep and kind of encircling as they get closer they find these strange shadows um you know as they see into the through the blizzard up ahead they can see these strange shadows um and as they get closer they find that they're 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 people and men and women and beasts snow tigers cave bears manticores hydras squids things um frozen in the in ice covered in a layer of ice um and they're you know they surmise that these are trophies of the queen things that have come to try and either capture her or have been sent after her um and uh, obviously uh the his his leaders his the guys he relies on are pretty weary that this is the right move to go f- towards mm-hmm. this um as and the, it also speaks to their command structure where these guys are you know feel okay questioning his his decision and where, where to push towards and all that uh, sort of thing. So it's just, you know, again, how they're structured. It's not an unquestioning discipline yep. sort of thing. They, yeah. Arcus doesn't like, uh, you know, snap at them. He might, you know, joke with them or whatever, but it, yeah, to, to raise a question isn't a, something that he gets upset about. Um, as they approach the tower, uh, more frozen things, there's, um, a bridge that goes from where they're at all the way across, this, it seems impossible like that this bridge can actually cover this this spans and uh Arcus kind of decides that he's got to go on his own and so he's going across um and he gets to of any of 
you know, among what we've seen before, a gate. Um, and this was another question I had of, of Gavin. I just asked him, you know, like there seems there's a lot of gates. There's the, the, the gate of Arcus, um, Arcus last stand. There's the gate of, um, Thuderic coming back from his victory. You've got this, the silver hands forming these, this castle with a gate here. You've got another gate and, you know, Gavril, and obviously we're in the realm gate wars and the, the gates are really important. But Gav was mentioning how that the gate is a symbol of transition. He says it's, it's solid, but it's also uh, a changing. It's a threshold from one place to the next. And so, um, you know, kind of getting a sense of what, what does this transition, you know, this, this story is a story of transition and moving from one life to the next life. And mm. how do you come to grips with that? And so, you know, thinking about that coming up to this place where uh, Arcus obviously knows this queen of peaks and for some, in some way, how is coming to this gate and passing through going to be different? Um, what is it going to mean for, you know, from who he was to now? And so he, this gate is, um, there's a shimmering bar- barrier there and Arcus announces himself who he is, who he was, and uh, something she had named him, and she had called him the thing of freedom. But he gets no response. He questions what he should do, um, and, you know, he decides to just trust, and he steps through unharmed. Um, But on the other side, he realizes that he's just stepped through something more than just like a gate. I mean, it's, it's almost like its own realm gate into like we've seen before, kind of a, its own pocket realm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and he ascends the stairs um, up into the, the tower. There's a domed roof, um, ice forming reflective surface surfaces inside. Um, and he's seeing kind of his reflection everywhere. And he gets a response from, from somebody. He says, who claims the name Arca bear clad? And he says, reveal yourself. Um, and he sees a middle-aged woman in kind of in a reflection, um, clad in white robes, edged in fur, silver long hair, um, and piercing blue eyes. And they kind of have a discussion. But it starts off with her kind of yelling at him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, he, it turns out he had um, sworn an oath to her, um, similar to how he had sworn it to his mother. He's... He seems to be someone who makes a lot of promises, if I were uh, to sum it up. And I don't know if, if he knows if he can keep these promises when he makes them. He, he thinks he can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this, he says, you know, Oathbreaker, deserter, traitor, you abandoned your people, you abandoned me. Uh, and he, he claims he's not taken willingly. And she just, he doesn't, she doesn't let him off, right? But we, right. we don't exactly get what the oath was. Um. But he swears that the bear clad is dead and the war beast will deliver where the bear clad had failed. You know, he's part of his transition. He's like, I was, and, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, why, why'd you take him when he was at his, you know, prime to fight? He wasn't about dead. Uh, Arcus has no qualms about having been taken. Um, only that he's been able to return with new power, right? New, new body to, to finish it. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. If it's totally true. I, I think later he, he 
maybe it's true now, but certainly I think those are he shows some. Those are just things he, he's he's kind of said through just in this beginning. Those are, that's his internal dialogue. You're right. Is that yeah? To- I think he starts to feel pretty conflicted about it, you know, like you know that, that and and maybe the more that he's and presented with these reminders of his past, he starts wondering like, you know, should I've if I could have, would I have gone down with the ship? Should I have, mm-hmm. you know, was it was it wrong to be taken? And, you know, I think this part of his mental journey throughout this is is uh, having to question that a little bit. But yeah, so he renews his vow. He says, if she answers just one question, he will make sure that that he fulfills what he said. Um, she seems to get pissed, and she tells him to sleep, and she covers him in ice. Um, and Arcus opens his eyes, so this, it jumped to chapter 12. And it, he, he says he can see everything as the queen saw it. Consciousness floated into the air above the tower. So he's kind of taken out of his body where it's, it's sitting inside of her tower. And it moves down across the bridge, um, down the mountain, um, seeing chaos tribes, camps, down into the layers of the Skaven. He sees humans selling mutated beasts uh, and slaves to the Skaven for warp stone, receiving blessings from the Great Horned Rat. They're protected from diseases, and they keep their lands in exchange for the servitude and obedience. He can see kind of all this stuff happening. Um, he remembers the Vermin Lord Corruptor he had encountered uh, before he died and remembers a name. The queen kind of gives him the name of a Skixkoth. We can just call him Skix for for the rest of this. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to be hawking up phlegm, I think, every time. Um, uh, seems appropriate. <laughs> um, and she she takes him down kind of to where the Skaven are burrowing and digging and stuff. Um, but she can't go. He wants to go down to the into the Shadow Gulf, but she can't take him there. Um, and draws him. she draws him back. Um, and he can, so yeah, he can see the gate. He can see where, you know, he's supposed to go. Um, and as he's kind of pulling back, he also sees the Thuterus and the silver hands kind of getting themselves into an ambush. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he can't do a thing about it as he's being pulled back to his body. Um, what she tells him, I guess, you know, is this may have already happened, right? This isn't necessarily right. something he can affect right now. And in fact, we're kind of aware that it is because the inter- intervening chapter, they are, the silver hands are busy getting ambushed while he's, uh, while Arca's over with the vindicators having his, um, having his visions. Yep. Here. Yep. So, yeah, so as he's kind of floating through, he sees where the, he sees exactly where he needs to go. Um, Thuterus is in a world of trouble, um, getting um, pounded on all sides by um, beastmen, um, humans, or mortals, and um, some Skaven. Um, they manage to get themselves out of it as they're kind of fighting. Um, Arcus had sent over one of his. Um, Venators or the Azirus, Azirus, um, to come and kind of deliver a message and mm-hmm. let him know what was going on, see if he was all right, you know, those sorts of things. And uh, um, 
that the Zero stays with him and the fights with him for a little while. And yeah, is this the guy who gets to one shot a, a giant? <laughs> yeah, I think was it a giant or is it a mandacore? Uh, no, they called it a, a gargant. So, okay, so yeah, to use the the age of Sigmar term, like he's he, you know, kind of comets himself down and star blades <laughs> him right in half, you know, from the from the sky. Like one yep. of those things that even if it even if it can't happen on the board, you you like that, <laughs> that was pretty cool. And yeah, that's that's the that's the nice thing about the book is that you get to take some <laughs> creative license, do some awesome stuff. Yep. So and his name is Hastor. Um, oh yeah, no, I'm sorry, I've got it mixed up. I was thinking of this is a. Uh, Samat is the ah. uh, is the guy who does this. Uh, yeah, Hastor is the vendor that goes to um, make the connections. So. Yep. No, it's and I've, and all these things happen. Obviously, you know, like yeah. um, so. Um, and he sticks around until um, uh, Thuderus is able to kind of fight and get a message back to Arcus. Mm-hmm. Um. So Arcus and uh, we're back to so they end up um, kicking butt kind of turning back the tide, uh, creating some, some space for themselves to kind of start marching back through the mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we're back, uh, skipping up ahead a little bit. We're back down into the, the caverns. There's, it's interesting cause there's not only, so we're with the Skaven again, there's 400 human captives huddled naked in uh, ropes um, each with some marks, boils, warts, pestules. And Felk sees these as a sign of being chosen because they've been touched by um, uh, the the great horned rat, been plagued. Mm-hmm. And he seeks the great horned rat's attention um, to, to have his eyes set on the withering canker and to give him power above even uh, Skix. Uh, he, so Thriss, the, the gutter runner, approaches um sorry and he and he just tells felk that the ambush didn't work mm-hmm. that the mark macagra beast caller is dead and all the beasts are dead the metal giants bring the magic of storm and sun um and felk is surprised at this um so he orders everything to kind of happen faster and faster. We've got to do this. And what he's calling the dismal feast has to happen tonight. We don't have any more time. So Arcus wakes um, outside the Queen of Peaks tower. He calls for his um, host for his night venator. Um, obviously he uh, sends somebody to go and meet Theodorus, as we had said. Um, and as he's kind of coming over the bridge, he calls to Sigmar and he pleads for the queen of peaks for giving her for any past wrongs. We find out that it was Sigmar who had kind of enslaved her there. Um, and as he calls out to Sigmar, a single bolt comes down from the heaven and the tower explodes and the shock of it rocks the bridge as well. And, uh, he gets a little bit of, uh, again, chastising for, uh, picking the the least opportune time to to make the call. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, and, uh, one thing I want to say before we move on from the queen, it, it mentioned that she was possibly, or maybe can I don't know. It, there was rumors that she was from the world that was. I couldn't quite sort it out if she was, you know, uh, the essence of the the ice queens of Kislev, or if she was a, a one of the gods that I wasn't aware of. But that it was a it was definitely. 
she was supposed to be pretty ancient as far as that. And uh, so the fact that Sigmar imprisoned her, you know, there may have been existing history there or something like that. So. Yep, and I think but, that's that's some of what, you know, hearing the Helen Hamper episode, that some of that is, it's not, none of this ties exactly, right? None of it says, right. oh, this is that, this is that, this is that. It certainly gives you things to chew on like that. Um, and so I think that, yeah, if that's where your, your senses are going, I think this is definitely, you know, appropriate. Um, so yeah, she's, she's something old, right. And, and, and from the world that was, and as they're, um, kind of leaving this place, they, uh, march out and they, some of Arcus's, um, um, protectors, um, kind of call out that there's somebody ahead marching. Prosecutors. The prosecutors, sorry. They've, they've uh, spotted, but, you know, just a single person making her way across the, the snow fields. It's like, are you sure it's just a single person? Is there any chance that there's anybody else with her? Like, no, no. Yep. Prime, Prime is like, no, just uh, just one. She's all on her own for sure. Promise, promise. And uh, you know, she she's making, she's obviously, you know, not trying to hide and trying to make her way straight towards them. Yep. So they they move towards, they kind of go in the direction that the stranger was seen. And she's some like 60 plus years old. She's obviously an elder of her tribe. She's carrying a bow and a sword. And the clothing she's wearing seems to come from some different tribes. Um, but she seems very calm. Um, and as they, especially as they approach, she just doesn't seem to be jarred by them at all. You know, and we've seen mm-hmm. in other kind of interactions how people are a bit in awe of the the Stormcast. Mm-hmm. Arcus asks her her name, uh, and she was surprised that that he spoke in her language. And this is an interesting um, thing that we'll probably end up passing over in the future interactions. We probably just won't touch on it, so I'll touch on it here. But so he's obviously speaking in a local dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, later there is an interaction with... Um, with uh, Deuterus and the, he doesn't like all they can say is that they, the Stormcast speak really loudly. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah that they have a, 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 a bravado or that, you know, they, they just speak very loudly. And, and the explanation is that it's a voice for war to be able right. to call to each other over the battlefield and that sort of stuff. So they just, they're amplified even in their voices, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But then even uh, the Knights Excelsior who don't uh, didn't come from here are able to pick up the dialect a little bit even um, mm-hmm. quickly. So just some of those those powers are kind of interesting. So Arcus asks her name. Um, her name is Katia Gospor. Um, and she's been waiting for them since she was a child, is what she says. Um, now, this goes back to um, something that uh, Radomira had told uh, Arca as well that he was it, it was an interesting thing she told him that he was going to be uh, able to free their people and this was right before he gets zapped up I uh, know this is where she said he would free the land free the land and he right. took it to mean that he would free the people but she had to uh, point out to him that the two were not necessarily the same thing right and so it, it this kind of harkens back to that um, that prophecy that Radomira had kind of um, told him and uh, as they're talking um, they talk you know I think he 
she would talk about Arca the Uniter, and you know, obviously that's him. Um, and you know, they're asking about things. Uh, you know, do you have an army? Do you have people to follow you? And within seconds, and again, there's a there's a comment about heartbeats. Um, within a few heartbeats, um, over a thousand warriors appeared like snow devils um, around yeah. them. Um, so even though the prosecutors could not see them, they were there for sure. Yeah, there's a funny moment where he, he yells out to his prime, you know, I would have words with you, you know. The guy had uh, sworn up and down there wasn't anyone else, and actually there's a thousand of these guys hidden, hidden <laughs> out in the fields. So. so this is a cool part um, to kind of, it, it, it's cool to read about, but Katya lead, uh, leads them down into kind of these ice caverns, this castle of ice. Um, I hope there's no shark apparitions in there, but, um, yeah. um, and it's, it's, they said 19 generations have carved the city of ice and it's frozen over top a Dwarden city. So it doesn't necessarily match with what the, how the Dwarden city was built. Um, but there's, um, you know, tunnels and, um, kind of, I, I imagine kind of a honeycomb of, or not a honeycomb, but like a, I guess similar to the anthill. Yeah. An anthill of, of holes and, and tunnels and stuff that hit the surface at different points. But, to somebody who doesn't live there, they're not going to know where those things are. They're not going to be able to, to get in there. And that's really what's kept them alive um, for generations. And we kind of find out that these are, these are Arcus's people. Like these are mm-hmm. the, the ancestors of his, you know, um, descendants. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yes. Descendants, the other direction. Um, <laughs> and so that, you know, they are his blood. They're his real people. And, and to kind of, go further into the, you know, he's been brought here. He was standing on the place he was taken. Um, he's freeing this realm gate from his mountain that he, you know, and these are his people. Like, this is so personal. This is so, like, you know, uh, it seems almost too personal, right? If you're going to be mm-hmm. sending a general down um, to, you know, fight a battle, is it okay for it to be this personal, you know, as opposed to, you know, Thuderus, who's much more, um, removed again this isn't his realm mm-hmm. um and so um they kind of uh, get a tour of the city and they end the tour in a watchtower so at some point it exits out of the mountain up into a giant tower disguised by snow and ice and they spot some chaos um a huge band of chaos coming down the black river and that there are too many to count um mm-hmm. And Arcus must see this for himself and self in this. So um, there's a, I guess the way this unfolds and, you know, please add detail as you see it, uh, Davey, but you know, they kind of, he remembers part of the land, but the land is, is different. And he goes to a place to make a stand and that he finds that he can even command the land to change its shape a little bit. Um, the, the land kind of these, there's this lake, uh, or this path that has like these these rock formations that are almost like teeth, um, mm-hmm. and he's able to kind of shift them a little bit. So uh, this kind of connectedness to the to the land is kind of revealing itself in different ways. And they and you know they prepare for a, a battle against um, to kind of kind of pinch or move against these the chaos and um, you know kind of I don't know uh, strike a blow against. Um, the chaos foes that are here. They're confident in their own abilities. 
Um, so they they see that there's no more than like ten thousand. Um, that it's not countless. You know, they've they've got. A, I guess they've got a good mind for for battle and can count their enemy pretty well. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a it's a combat like you'd expect it. I don't know. It's it's again. It's not always exciting to recap um, this battle, um, but they they obviously do what they need to do and kick some butt. Yeah, and to jump ahead, we'll we'll loop back to the Skaven chapters here. But the this this battle is in the balance, and and they're they're doing great. And then it's finally decided with the arrival of the other storm host, who uh, so. Theodorus on one side and Arca on the other, uh, Arcus, I should say, in this form, uh, break and, and utterly rout the army uh, away. So, yeah. they And so we finally have both storm hosts united. Yep. And and um, so we go back underground to Felk and the, um, the ritual he's about to perform, and he's given a um, leg bone. And a, an elf skull, and inside the elf skull is a tooth, and it's the tooth of Skixicoth. And through um, kind of this this ritual he performs, and he takes the the tooth from the skull, he smashes the skull, grabs the tooth, he embeds it in his chest, and it just bathes him in this power of of the vermin lord. Um, warp lightning. Um, shoots from the skull to kind of these uh, slaves that have been feasting, these humans um, that have been uh, killed and sacrificed. And it starts to animate them. Um, And it's just, it's gross. It's pretty, it says it enters the engorged slaves and their bones break under the weight of of food and this power. Um, And in the mist, the great horn rat appears. Um, and Felk addresses him. He, you know, asks for that power. Um, and actually, this is where the Greenhorn Rat grabs the tooth out of the mist, plunges it. I'm sorry, Felk grabs the tooth, plunges it into his own heart. And the infection, uh, it fills him with knowledge, and he can see like the past and the future. And it's like shot him through, you know, shot him full of this energy. Um, and there's all of these in this kind of moment of vulnerability, these plague monks kind of look to Falcon. They're maybe going to try and kill him. And, um, the spite vermin encircle Felk to protect him. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It seems like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people vying for power, but there's other people, other Skaven that kind of are dutiful, um, and, you know, uh, work towards, uh, Felk's protection. And, but the, um, kind of, it revealed to him that he's not meant to conquer the white world, um, but destroy it through plague. Um, and, you know, so his, his desire is to kind of take over Ersengarod and all that space and make it his own. Um, but that might not be what's in store for him. So now Thuderus and Arcus are together and they're talking with uh, Katya and Thuderus is kind of surprised by how frail Katya seems, but she's obviously a war leader he looks into her eyes and she understands kind of how that could be possible. Like her eyes um, kind of show him how strong she is. Um, Arcus is now reunited with his people. Um, and 
kind of is distracted from the mission. He wants to fulfill what Sigmar wants, but again is kind of being pulled by his ties to the land, um, which is, an, you know, we're obviously seeing over and over and, and kind of, you know, as he's, once he came into this realm from the minute he got here, uh, Gur has been calling to his heart. Um, and so this is just a kind of a physical man manifestation of he wants to secure his people. He doesn't want them in the fight. He doesn't want them kind of a part of what they're doing, but they've been waiting a long time for the Stormcast to come, you know, by Katya's prophecy and kind of free the land, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a big argument, I guess, or a difference of opinion on whether or not they should be allowed to fight or not. Um, as they're kind of hemming and hawing, um, uh, the alarms sound. Um, and the tunnels get started getting, get, um, kind of flooded with rats with, you know, small rats, swarms of rats, big rats. And the stormcats just aren't, I don't know if they're not prepared, but big hammers, small targets kind of thing. Right. Um, right. It, it's a, it's a thing where they, they can take on larger harder targets but these it doesn't there's just so many uh that it's just a, a, a flood a tide there's you know there's certain certain weapons they can bring to bear like some of the lord relictors can can bring down the lightning and such um that they're a able to able to make some dent in it but you know swinging a swinging a hammer might uh you know just crush a rat or two at a time so they're not powerless but they really can't have the impact that they would like to have right so this vermintide is coming through and they kind of managed to kind of blaze through them. Um, and you know, through some just crazy, you know, lightning and, and whatnot, uh, destroy the first tide. Um, they flee the mountain, uh, with the, the people and, and Thuderus is watching how in their own kind of disciplined way, you know, the young are picking up the younger, and moving them out the, you know, they're kind of systematically getting people and moving them and taking them where they need to go. Mm -hmm. And so they, um, take the Ursingaran's, uh, people to safety up the mountain. They settle in a camp and, uh, Tyrothrax is patrolling Arcus and, and Thuderus discuss, um, they kind of get after some people are safe, you know, and they've been going back and forth, back and forth. Um, Katya has been kind of seen with some people and, and, Arcus has gone back a few times to try and find her, and it's not not totally found her, or hasn't found her yet. He's a little worried. Um, and Arcus and Thuderus kind of come to a head to discussing kind of really what makes them different. Um, Arcus, you know, kind of reveals that uh, Gur is in his heart, and Thuderus is a little wary about this because you know he needs to be. He feels like Arcus needs to be completely wholly devoted to Sigmar. Um, and we think that, you know, um, you know, while Arcus is seeing his people, what's happened, where they are, that they've survived, you know, they talk a little bit about wouldn't Thuderus, you know, what would Thuderus give to go back to where he came from? And he really kind of blows up and shares his aggravation that, you know, he doesn't want to go back and see what's become of the land he left because in his mind he left it and it is still surviving today. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that just because he left, it had enough that it could survive. And if he goes back, he might find something different, and he's not willing to do that. And here's going back to why Sigmar chooses to put different Celestins in different places. You know, this might be a thing where his his uh, successful empire in the Glittering Reaches is, is no more. It, it fell when he was gone, uh, but it's it's better not to make that explicit. You know, it's it's uh, so put him somewhere else. Let him you know fight on with the belief or at least the hope that it, it still exists. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it might be more effective for that. Yep. And after this kind of uh, blow up, Thuderus kind of leaves. He and Tyrothrax um, kind of go out into the woods. And after uh, kind of the dawn, uh, or before dawn, like way before dawn, um, Thuderus returns. He had scouted out some entrances to attack the Skaven. And every time he had one, like he found a few, Arcus would say, well, not that. Well, not that. You know, that one won't work. That one won't work. A little annoying um and he says well what what do you have a plan you know just instead of all this no's give us a yes kind of thing and um arcus says he does have a plan um and he says he'll tell thuderus the plan um if thuderus takes over command so he kind of realizes arcus realizes that his role isn't to kind of make the calls maybe that he is too close to this mm. um, and that Thuderus is the better person to kind of take full, you know, overall command, but he does have a plan. He does ha- think, you know, the vision that um, he saw from the lady of the peaks, the queen of the peaks, he knows how to get in there kind of thing. Um, so they do a little strategizing and as they're doing this, the humans are getting sick. The attack from the rats, the um, pestilence. It's definitely kind of, there's some of them are succumbing to it. Um, Arcus leaves to gather his thoughts. And as he's doing so, so this is, he's, you know, kind of heard that, I think he's heard that there's some um, survivors kind of in another part of the mountain. And he goes to kind of see where they're at. And as he's going through there, he's experiencing kind of, struggle that again that inner struggle of like does he serve Gur does he serve Sigmar and the mm-hmm. these energies inside him are fighting and he wants to just kind of toss this hammer and you know they kind of make reference that it's his hammer and not you know the axe that he was carrying you know that dichotomy between the two and and which does he serve that it's this responsibility that he wish he didn't have sometimes um and, you know, he, he grabs a tree and rips it out of the ground and, and bursts <laughs> it into shards. Um, and so he, he takes a moment, he calms down, he puts his helmet back on, and he kind of resolves that he needs, to be, he needs to be serving Sigmar, right? That that's his path. Mm-hmm. So, and some of this almost gets decided for him because as, they, as they're scouting out, as they're looking around, they, they're discovering that, you know, there aren't a lot of survivors of these people who who've lasted so long. You know, without the stormcast around. Now, when the right as the stormcast arrived, they they're near wiped out, and even the survivors are now clearly diseased. You know, they're they've uh, the plague is set in, and it may be a, an unrecoverable right. uh, injury to the population. There's actually a pretty cool moment in here uh, where there's a Lord Relictor has his helmet off, and he's kind of joking with the kids i don't know if you remember this he's yep. you know so they're, they're all talking to families and 
this relictor who's you know they have this uh typically very stern and grim and you know just because of the nature of their work and uh he's he's kind of surprised he's like oh you know you're actually pretty good with kids and this relictor turns and says you think you're the only guy who who had kids before he was reforged you know, <laughs> I, I i had children now i was a father once uh yep and then and then he closed it out he's but they must be purged You're like oh <laughs> wow just like <laughs> throws the switch like you, you know he's able to, to chat with them but like this guy is still he knows they have you know, to go yeah it was i thought it was an interesting interesting glimpse of like you know here's the they have that human connection but they are they are not human like they're they're making these decisions uh some of them are able to make these decisions easily that are yep. you know impossible yep and and uh, you know remind me that a little later because there's a really um that that's poignant um towards the end as well um so um arcus meets up with uh some of these survivors that they found in another part of the mountain and find out that katya was inflicted and and uh as she's laying there kind of dying um she looks a lot like uh, Radomira, um, and reveals actually that Radomira was Arcus's mother, not his stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that her, you know, her, her magical abilities flow in, in his bloodline and not just mm-hmm. the sage site and the Gertung, but the beast gift. Um, so it doesn't really explain what these things are, um, yeah. but certainly, you know, He's part of a bloodline that's really connected to the land, to the, yeah, to the realm. I, I did feel like uh, some of this reveal is meant to have a little bit more emotional impact, and I, I think it might be just a, a little bit of a disconnect where the author has a really strong idea of what these characters are, but you know, just the nature of these novels that have so much, you know, so much time devoted to the fighting or something. It, it didn't. It felt a little bit telegraphed because they were talking about, yeah, she looked familiar somehow. Something was familiar about her. Kept on saying yeah. that. And, I was like, I think we're going to get some of these, like, geez, you know, there's some connection that we're, that is going to be a surprise to him. So it didn't, you know, it was a, it was a thing where he was, he was stunned and it was a, a big emotional moment for him, but it didn't, it wasn't conveyed the greatest. And sure. I, you know, um, I, I don't know that it, it could have been done better within the structure of a book like this, but, uh, but yeah, there, there's some important points here where again, you know, we've seen other, other places where once Stormcast are back in the wild, they become something more than Stormcast. You remember Grimm with the uh, Hallowed Knights uh, and, and him becoming sort of uh, entwined with the Sylvaneth and now we're possibly seeing Arcus uh, getting getting more ingrained with the Realm of Beasts here. Yeah. I mean, and to some extent, I mean, Sigmar has stolen these souls, right, um, and, mm-hmm. and forged them with xerite uh, energy, but that, you know, doesn't mean that he's been able to kill, you know, take away the energies of these realms you know it's they're very much you know a part of the realms they came from so that's yeah it's definitely um it's definitely something that uh is going to be popping up more and more and more um and not i mean when we went through um some of the as we're reading through some or listening through the latest audio drama set to you know you've got um uh some some stormcasts that are very um bestial and that sort of what you know uh, feral almost and you know so it's mm-hmm. they're not above um being affected by you know their their the homes that they came from um so they they come back to camp they you know obviously there's 
they've got some humans that have to be dealt with and um they kind of say okay it's time for us to go and the stormcasts march and they ma- march through some fiery peaks uh they call it the skagolt ridge magmic fiery place almost as if there's a a rent between that location and Akshi. There's a speculation that there's just some bleed. Um, yeah, and we've, you know, it, it pops up like some of these, you know, we've had uh, realm gates like you might consider with the model and then realm gates that are, you know, these tiny little pocket realms. And this is where the realms are bleeding together. I really like this uh, idea. It was something I hadn't, you know, kind of thought of before, but how one one realm could sort of overlap another. But yeah. Cool. And as they're going across this, you know, kind of looking down into this valley, they glimpse some, like they see some structures, some uh, Dwarden structures, but they don't look old. They don't look ancient. Yeah. They look like they've been recently carved. And they, um, across the way, they see five uh, stout figures, all but naked, carrying axes of flame. And mm-hmm. one of the obvious Dwarden fire slayers points with his axe towards a, a, a revealing a path ahead yeah so this is this is kind of cool and i almost wish because it was uh it was very mysterious setup and uh, i don't know how uh how the lead up to this was but if this was like the first glimpse we were getting of the fire slayers like this would have been pretty amazing it was it was a cool moment anyway uh, yeah. because you know these these storm hosts are not they don't know about the fire slayers yet or you know it's, it's something different than the dwarden they know uh and if this was if this was totally new to us then it would be it'd be super cool as like the the first hint and it, it feels like it was kind of set up that way um but uh yeah cool regardless it's also an interesting look at the relationship of these you know if you look at it on the surface you have stormcast and order faction you have fire slayers and order faction so you would expect them to just, yep, we're in, you know, you're you're against chaos, cool. But they don't know each other, and, you know, they don't know what they're about. So uh, the Fire Slayers grant them passage and grant them direction through this. It's called the Bear's Spine, uh, this route that nobody would expect anyone to survive uh, because of the, the heat. Well, the Fire Slayers get them this sort of backdoor entrance into uh, into the uh, Skaven Warrens and the the route to this realm gate. So they assist in that way, but they don't commit military forces to this cause. Yep. So the basically the extent of the interaction is the Stormcast look look over and go, "Wow, they're so metal," and the Fire Slayers <laughs> look back and go, "Wow, they're so metal," and uh, and that's their mutual bond. Nice. Uh, but yes, so they're but they're directed to that path. Um, this is Kurzengor is a mm-hmm. city built in the side of the mountain. Um, and it's been riddled with holes and and gnaw holes and and pits and and there's ruined um, buildings and the you know remnants of the city center and all these kinds of things. There's uh, a Mount Rushmore. I mean, sorry. There's a <laughs> bunch of faces carved on the side of of the mountain. Uh, obviously, Dwarden work, but some of them are human. Some of the faces. Mm-hmm. Um, so this you know kind of sense of living in harmony, living together, uh, Dwarden and human. Um, and one of them is is marred and defaced um, to look like the great horned rat, and and this really pisses them off. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, the first thing they do, so they they they've got to charge this. They've got to go in fast. They've got to blitzkrieg um, before the sun's up, before the dawn, um, and they go in, um, and they go in hard, and they hit um, 
They hit mortals, chaos mortals. They hit crazy cat lizard things with manes of snakes, um, troglodytic. I think I said that right. Clansmen, uh, tattooed and scarred. Um, and as they kind of get up towards the face of the mountain, they kind of hit some rocky parts in a wall um, where the humans are able to kind of fire down on them from a higher position. Um, they manage to kind of bust through that through, you know, some teamwork and some things. And, and Thuteris is able to kind of hold the kind of make a big enough hole in the defenses to allow Arcus and the war beasts to move through and into the interior um, while they kind of hold that spot. Yeah. I, I can't say I totally wrap my head around what exactly the strategy was here. I, I think it's that the war beasts are supposed to blitz in, uh, make it to the realm gate and hold it long enough for the Knights Excelsior to reinforce. I think. Yeah. Is, so but, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of like I imagined like, the savage force going in as the front line, tearing it to shreds, and then the um, silver hands able to march in and and hold it like a, a you know in their kind of very fortress formation type of thing, um, and defend it. So, whereas Arcus is the attack force, um, uh, Thuteris and the silver hands are a defense force, um, kind of also seen in their kind of castle formations and stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, that's the plan. Yeah. Um, Arcus and the, and the war beasts cut through and they kind of get down through the holes. And before they know it, like before they can even realize it, they've made it into this giant chamber and, um, uh, <clears throat> and they're fighting down. Um, I guess I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit. Um, but they kind of fighting down in and they, they kind of, yeah, they're, they're making their way into the interior down. They drop down into a gnaw hole and they're getting down through the, um, we move back to Felk. This is important. Uh, Felk is full of the energies of the Great Horned Rat. Uh, and the Realm Gate's nearly uncovered. Uh, Thriss and the... Thriss, the gutter runner, had been tracking the Stormcast. So Felk knows exactly where they're at. And actually with this new energy, um, he could sense them. He said he senses them like, you know, a kinker on the skin kind of thing. And... Um, as the the realm gate opens this is chapter 42 um and and again this at this point in the book they're moving back and forth between you know the two pretty quickly so i'll try and connect them a little bit more um mm-hmm. they activate the realm gate um and um through the realm gate comes uh, a number of plague monks and big old badass skicks skicks of comes on through and this was the thing where Arcus all of a sudden realized, you know, we're trying to cut to the realm gate and also we're being allowed to get there. Like, that's weird. I wonder what exactly. Oh, no, it opened up and there's bad dudes on the other side. Now I got drubs. So. Yep. So, um, Skixithoth and Felk kind of argue. Um, Skix sees that Felk is using his tooth and he's like, that's not yours. Uh, and he's very, very much like, okay, I'm here to actually do the business. I don't care what oath or what deal you've struck with anybody. This will be my victory, not yours. Um, and, you know, Skaven are, are renewed. So Arcus is in his, in the war beasts are tunneling down through, following the tunnels. Um, they're fighting through things. They're advancing through. They um, come to a spot where they, yeah, they realize the Skaven force is no longer putting up a fight. 
in the you know where they've come instead they've cut off all the exits um you're right and and this is when felk uh ignites the realm gates and skixakoth comes through um the skix shoots a blast of energy at arcus and he blocks it with his hammer um he feels a ton of rage at the sight of skixakoth um and and you know how that thing had directly killed his family and his uh ancestors or his descendants both all of it the things mm-hmm. yep um and he can feel Ursengarod's rage the great energy filling him but he he mentally he's like i'm not the bear clad i'm you know the war beast um and he, he takes his his team into a defensible island surrounded by surrounded by a fissure trying to take a, a, a stance and maybe this should have been a first um kind of sign of doom because the war beasts aren't a defensive <laughs> chamber. Right. Yeah. Once they're, once they're on the back foot, it's not there. Um, the vermin Lord attacks Arcus and then he goes toe to toe trading, trading blows. And it, it caught me by surprise actually that Arcus gets crushed, um, by the vermin Lord gets knocked down into this fissure, falls a super long time. And then like just his body's pulped at the bottom. And he's like, Oh, all right. I guess he's out. You know? Lightning back up to the mm-hmm. to the sky. Back to the the entrance to the the lair. Silverhands are in a defensible position, but they can't leave that position. They're if they move, they'd be opening up their flanks. Um, yeah, and Duduris here, you know, we're seeing the maybe the vulnerabilities of both these both these uh, chambers where Arcus was able to rip his way through, but got overextended and surrounded. Meanwhile, Theodorus has, you know, he's, he's set it up successfully. He's secured his three routes. He Now he's got to decide which, and he's trying to make the perfect decision. He's trying to make that. I'm detached from this. I'm going to make the best decision, but it seems like everyone has uh, got too many negatives to it, and he's, he ends up not making a decision. Um, and uh, he's, he has some discussion with one of his uh, officers about how how to proceed and uh while they're while they're kind of paralyzed uh with not being able to figure out what the perfect is up comes uh Skixikoth. yep coming out of the pit with um a bunch of uh skaven coming after him and uh Thuderus has you know he makes a decision he jumps atop tyrothrax and he leaps into the battle and uh he gets Ty- tyrothrax gets tangled and loses some momentum uh, they're overrun by kind of the mass of rats. Mm-hmm. His helm is removed, and a dagger stabs up into his jaw. Like can- yeah, it's just gnarly. He's like he he was confused because all of a sudden he was tasting metal, and then he realized it was that a yeah there was a dagger coming up right <laughs> underneath his. Like, oh man, yuck! It, this is this is actually gets super explicit, and um, I think it helps uh, you know explain. It's not like oh you know I get a do over like he's getting stabbed in the eye, and then something goes through his cheek, and he's you know, it was. It's one of the better fight scenes I've read. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, you really got the sense of, you know, how one of these big powerful guys is getting swarmed over by by Skaven. You know, it kind of conveyed that uh, really, really nicely. But yeah, so yep. uh, literally death by a thousand cuts. He goes down, um, gets hamstrung, cut out from his knees. He goes down and he gets reforged as well. He get brought back to his ears. And that's where the book ends. <laughs> Yep, Stormcast is <laughs> I will say, so it doesn't end here, uh, but it's a defeat. Yep. Um, and we haven't, um, other than uh, our brief look at uh, Vandis 
coming up against mm-hmm. Archeon, right? Which yeah. is, you know, which is a big, I mean, that's a, a big foe. Like these are, this is the type of the foe that the Stormcast have been fighting over and over, but they're, mm-hmm. but they're defeated. They don't succeed. They're not always winning here. And it doesn't come down to, are they superheroes or not? Right. Or, are, you know, are they powerful or not? Um, it's, it's really a human element that is that has caused them to lose right um right and as there we 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 get to azir um and both are reforged and we're sitting in front of sigmar sigmar is sitting on his throne he's much larger than the stormcast um, but as he stands and descends the stairs it seems like he reduces in size now this is an interesting if, if we're talking about the emperor from 40k there's the the idea that the emperor makes you see what you want to see or what he wants you to see uh in mm-hmm. who he is or whatever so it's an interesting thing if sigmar can kind of change your perception of him um or if he literally shrinks and grows um <laughs> um got a bunch of alice in wonderland <laughs> vials and cakes so um he diminishes gra- grandeur and um Arcus, he, Sigmar tells Arcus that he's going to be returned to return. And, um, you know, that he has to do this. He has another chance, but you know, maybe only one. And he makes a crack about not hesitating. And he looks at Thuderus and Thuderus goes to respond. So there, there's a ton of tension between Arcus and Thuderus at this moment, you know, if, if at any moment, but they're right in front of Sigmar, like this, their God and they're bickering. Um, and so Sigmar silences Thuderus and Arcus goes away. Um, and Thuderus questions. He says, are the war beasts fit to be stormcast? They're so angry and reckless. Um, and noting that Arcus is more angry than before, which leads to bad decisions. And Sigmar does rebuke Thuderus and he says, let me indulge the argument. Uh, and he mentions that Arcus's reforging had a cost resulting in, in being even more angry. Um, but not all heroes are kings and princes and warriors like Arcus make decisions and take risks. And, and he makes a point of saying, what makes you think that I don't need him angry or want him angry, that this isn't part of my plan. Mm -hmm. And Thuderus, the master tactician is silent. He's speechless at it. He admits to, and he's also, yeah, he's getting a, a quiet rebuke here about, you know, Maybe I need people to make decisions and, and uh, yep. you know take on risk, which he failed to do. That was part of the part of why they came up short. Yep. So uh, it's also worth mentioning. You know, both these guys got reforged. These are these are two guys who remember very clearly their previous lives. We saw people like Gardas and Vandis who were trying to piece it together. You know, they they came back in and they're like, ah, you know, something seems familiar about this, and they they're sorting it out as they as they go. These two guys, they knew exactly what their prior life included, mm-hmm. uh, which, which then you think about that, and then is it is it perhaps all the more tragic that they're getting reforged and starting to lose some of that? You know, it's one thing if you can barely remember your previous life, then you get reforged. Well, you're just more stormcast than you were. These guys, you know, although that human element cost them, it, it was also you know, something that's making them stand out, and they're they're looking to they're they're losing that to some extent. Here. Yep. So. Interesting. Well, and we'll see how, I think how losing a little bit of the things holding them back, you know, that some of what they're losing in this reforging actually comes to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, last comment about the reforging. Yeah. I, I believe it was a lot earlier in this book. I meant to make mention, but there's some discussion about the reforging process. Maybe it's when we're talking to the 
you know, to the um, Queen of the Peak or, or whatever, but they talk about, so not only is it a cost on the individual, but there was some mention that there's a, uh, an expended part of uh, Sigmar's power, mm. and it's ex- expended, like, not renewable is the implication that they, they give there. So, um, you know, a, a Stormcast dying as a real cost in the overall fight. If, uh, if Sigmar has to reforge these guys again and again, he's expending some of his power, uh, which he's going to need because this is this is a marathon, not a sprint. Is this campaign? Yeah. So. No. Yeah. That yeah. that Sigmar's working. I mean, certainly that that core of the world that was is could be a finite resource in and of itself. Um, right. Is that the power of Sigmar, or is it something right. else? Um, and I don't know if that statement was a throwaway. You know, if if it's Gabthorpe's own interpretation, yeah. if uh, if it's you know canon or. If you know, it could even be like a misinterpretation. One of the characters may not uh, understand fully what the what the um, uh, stakes are, but uh, it adds a little more gravity to the idea of, of the reforging process. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so while they were gone, so I don't know how much time has passed. Like probably, I think maybe hours. Um, because I think uh, while they're gone, the Skaven and the human Chaos Tribes start fighting each other. So there's chaos. Like, th- it would have been, gr- you know, good for Chaos to just finish off the remaining Stormcast. But there are Stormcasts that have retreated. They've uh, found a, a place to hold. And the Chaos Tribes and the Skaven are fighting each other at this moment, trying for to take control over the space. And um, so... So strong is the storm that comes delivering uh, the two storm hosts back, um, Arcus and Thuderus, that the um, snow turns to water and floods the city. Mm-hmm. Um, as Arcus lands, he breathes in Gur, and this time he welcomes, uh, the energy welcomes him, ba- him back, and the rage fills him. And it says that the bear clad and the war beasts are one and the same. There's something that happens in the reforging that takes away that that wall that Arcus was putting up against the the Gurite energy, and here he just kind of lets it all come in. Um, he finds Thuderus, he finds Tyrathrax, um, and and <laughs> Tyrathrax growls at him. Arcus Arcus meets uh, the the Drakoth's gaze. And the Drakoth backs down. He backs him right <laughs> back down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this beast in him, there's something in him that's that's bigger than a you know, that's got the 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 Drakoth kind of taking a seat. And the Arcus insists they go right away while the Skaven and Moral Chaos are fought, and he just wants to charge back down. What they did before, he wants to do it again. He wants to take the same path, the same tactic, um, and there's no. All Thurdus can do is kind of think back to the conversation he just had with Sigmar. And, you know, he's wondering if letting him be free, is that was that Sigmar telling him what he should do? Or is that foretelling where success comes from? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Thurdus is fighting himself against, you know, do we, we're doing the same thing again. How are we going to be more successful? And he decides to just follow, like – just go with it. Um, now, not not fully. I mean, he's still Thuderous. 
Um, but they move through um, the city more f- quickly than before. They descend into the ruins and the gnaw holes. They come to Falk's Tower, surrounded by 13 tendrils of plague monks. So just trailing from the center mm-hmm. off into 13 kind of um, tendrils, like the like it said. Um, and the war beasts spear around one side and the silver hands around the other, killing so effectively that their movement was swift towards the realm gate. Um, the Warbees start getting ahead of the, and the silver hands start falling behind. And, and Thuderus is thinking, I've, we've got to, why aren't we keeping up? Um, and Thuderus kind of realizes some mistake in his thinking is that we don't, that they don't need to be right next to the Warbees to protect them. Just kind of be able to t- come in behind them. Right. So as yeah. the Warbees are, are knocking, you know, things off balance and killing things, they're coming in and sweeping up. Maintain that disruption. Yep. Um, and just then Skix and Felk appear. And uh, Thudish recalls uh, that he just he needs Arcus angry. Uh, yeah, you can see the war beasts are, are starting to bog down. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, and so this is another thing, like, you know, there's more than one way to support him. There's a way with, you know, strength of arms. There's a way psych- psychologically, and there's where he comes up with this plan. Yeah. Um, and also to mention, as as um, Arcus and his war beasts are before they come down the mountain, he riles them up, and they have a chant: "We fight, we kill, we win. We fight, we kill, we win." And Thuderus and and the Silverhands are kind of appalled by this chant while they're up in the service before they came down. Mm-hmm. Um, but Thuderus calls for his knight Azirus and sends a message over to Arcus. And I don't didn't take any note. Do you do you know what he said to him? Yeah, so he send he sends him up and uh, conveys to him basically like your your people are dead, right? Uh, like he says, uh, you know the his descendants, right? Yep. Um, his descendants, the ones that he was uh, feeling this conflict for, he didn't want them to be committed, he didn't want them to die. He says they're they're dead, and uh, and this obviously gets to Arcus, and he's, he's all this. Uh, anger oh, and right. this feeling of yep. fa- failure like that all of a sudden reignites burns bright and he's recharged and that uh, rips his helmet off howls and that gur energy flows into him with this and diminishing the celestial so it makes him kind of go full on rage yeah it flips a switch and he explodes um, with great energy and not just a, like a little like blow up you know like it literally tears the roof off of the mountain uh, it opens a gap gap in the ceiling um, and all of his pain turns to rage and his consciousness is drawn down into the shadow gulf. Um, he's realizing that this is where the power of, of Gur resides. It's a fragment of the world that was. And I, I, this is a good point maybe to, to um, it reveals a little bit later, but I, I had asked, um, you know, because it was really interesting that that the magic was affecting him in this way differently than it had any other stormcast. And and I, when Gav answered, he's kind of treated this Ursengarod, this Shadow Gulf. It's this remnant, the spirit from the world that was. It doesn't necessarily. It's not necessarily conscious, right? Mm-hmm. But it is. It's been driven mad by all these burrowing in the Norways in this Skaven, and. It, um, you know, it, it talks a little bit that 
Arcus mentions at one point that this rend in the Urshengaron happened the day he was born, or he was told, and that somehow it had tried to escape its place in the Urshengarod back then, and now it was finally able to escape its prison uh, that it was in through through Arcus. Um, and so now this this power is just channeling through him. It tears the top portion of the mountain. It erupts into the air. Skaven are swept up in his immaterial claws. So just like this swiping of energy. And they they fall back to the floor like hail. Super graphic. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's this, it forms this thick cloud around him. Um, and uh, and it, it, he goes for the gate. Um, he's in a full run. He's And he's gripping his his hammer with two hands, but the smoke around it forms his mother's ax. Um, and so he's going towards the gate. Uh, off to another side, Skix jumps into the fray, and his presence sends his, the rats into a frenzy, and so they come with renewed strength, and Thudris identifies the vermin lord as the thing he needs to kill to turn this tide. It's a problem to solve. It's something that he has to just get done. Mm-hmm. Um a little side note, one of uh, Felk's priests gives out a shout to the rats and saying, Skix will be our salvation, you know, he will help us, he'll save us. And Felk is not happy that anyone's devoted to anybody but him, and so he has one of the gutter runners cut the guy's head off. Yeah. Um, Arcus is carving a bloody path. Um, the fleeing, all of a sudden, you know, Felk under- realizes he's this is not going to end well. And he takes his plague priests and they flee down into some tunnels. Now that there are fewer bodies on the floor, Thuderus is undetained and he, he uh, takes on, he goes to take on Skix. Um, he's, Skix has this huge blade that he's sweeping around and Thuderus blocks the blow. And, and Tyrathax uh, goes up and scratches him and, and, and um, claws at him. Uh, they're able to kind of exchange a few blows, and uh, but finally, eventually, um, Thuderus and Tyra, uh, Tyrathrax are knocked off balance, and they roll. Skix is taking advantage of this, and he's about to, he brings his, his um, glaive up, and is going to bring it down, and Thuderus makes a move, and he's very calculated, he's very decisive. Mm-hmm. He rolls underneath uh, Tyrathrax, knowing that the blow is going to hit Tyrathrax. Mm-hmm. And he lets her take the hit, killing her. And as the the Vermin Lord is trying to dislodge its weapon, he leaps off of her corpse and stabs the Vermin Lord in the eye with his sword. He grabs onto the, the horns of the of the Vermin Lord, removes the sword and stabs it in the other eye. Uh, killing it and its body descends to the ground turning into a hun- hundreds of dead rat corpses mm-hmm. and again kind of talking about and, and he takes a moment to think about and look at what he's just done and realizing that himself being reforging being reforged has taken something from him as well he, you know, and back to, you know, talking to um, that Lord Relictor about the people. Like, I can, you know, being so detached, like being attached and then detached and making such a calculated, cold decision. Um, 
and he, you know, he's a little appalled with himself a little bit. Um, but he's uh, able to take that out. Um, the room is basically cl- cleared. Uh, Thudris calls for Glavius, his lord, uh, Castellant, or sorry, the Glavius, the lord relictor, uh, to call for the uh, lord Castellant back in the keep that, that they we saw in the first chapter or second chapter. Um, and he tries to, to call forth the, the storm, which doesn't happen because of all the great energy that Arcus has swarming around. And so he does this, uh, trick shot. (laughs) Yeah. He he sends the lightning, uh, through the Lord Vexler's banner, hits the realm gate. Uh, the realm gate charges up, bounces the energy back through the, the banner and back to the reliquary. And then it shoots sky high. Um, and down through the open ceiling, um, the the other storm host of the night's uh, Excelsior um, come land into the space. Sometimes you just got to cross the street. <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, that one's for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so they've, they've basically secured, rats have fled, um, and they're kind of cleaning up the remains. Um, the Knights Excelsior are kind of making piles of dead rats and lighting them on fire. Um, Thudris finds Arcus and helps him up. Um, they kind of reflect on the Shadow Gulf and its enslavement and how it's kind of come back to him. But he no longer, it's not stealing him. It's kind of burned itself out. It's escaped. Um, right. But some remnants are there. In fact, he's holding his mother's axe, which was a weird you know, did his hammer turn into an axe or, yeah. <laughs> uh, somehow it's, it's right there with him. Um, and while, you know, they kind of an ex- have an exchange again, more frankly about who, who's meant to do what. And, you know, Thuderus is like, you know, we're here to rebuild. We're going to hold this down and we're going to rebuild, but that's not everybody's role. Right. Um, then mm-hmm. Arcus, you're here to, to fight and to, you know, attack and to go after, um, the, 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 the chaos. And so, uh, you know, Arcus leaves to, to go and hunt down the rest of the rats, you know, to kind of fulfill some of his, more of his oath. Um, and Thuderus calls him to stop and just says, you know, you're a Lord Celestant of Sigmar and it's not just about waiting for orders. You, he's picked you to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but so go and do it. But when he needs the call, be ready uh, to take the all gates when the time comes. And Arcus says, I'm almost, re- I'm always ready. Yeah. yeah. Super, super eighties top gun. I was born ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and You'd be my wingman anytime. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just really kind of summing up where they've, they've transitioned and back to, to Gav's use of the gates, right? Uh, transitioning from, you know, who they were before they became Stormcast, their first touchdown as Stormcast, and who, who are they supposed to be? Are they supposed to be who they were or who they are? And then coming full circle to saying, well, Sigmar picked us for a reason to be the best version of ourselves as Stormcast. Um, right. And uh, that it's not a, it's not just a take orders, you know, it's think think like the heroes you are and you know be successful for sigmar um and that's 
that's the end of War Beast. Yeah. So like I said, that was it the longer novel is is a little different than what we've seen um, compared to the short stories and novellas and stuff. Mm-hmm. But even though it, you know, took us by surprise at the at the depth of it, there's some some real I think important things that come out of it and mm-hmm. and it's it's worth the journey. Like it's worth seeing some stormcasts struggle with their humanity in a way that leads them to failure at first. Right. Um, Absolutely. And uh, kind of we, you know, from the beginning, from the very first book we read, you know, Gates of Azir, that these aren't automatons. And and this is probably the even the most um, kind of full realized version of the Stormcast being as human as possible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so we got some. Is it? It was a great novel for that, you know, some more insight into the Stormcast. But also, you know, we got our first look at the Realm of Beasts, and there was a lot of work into, the, you know, making it this savage landscape and what that is, and some of the bigger implications of what the uh, what the campaign as a whole, you know, what where the Realm Gate Wars are headed. Um, and then uh, a look at uh, how a little bit of how the uh, Great Horned Rat has has come into play in the Chaos Pantheon. So, um, really cool things. We got some time. The full-length novel, you can explore a number of those different uh, subjects to sort of bulk out the the moral realms. All right. So, War Beast by Gav Thorpe. Pick it up, uh, order it from your local uh, game shop, or go to the Black Library and uh, download it. It's a great read and uh, really cool things that we weren't able to cover. The Hero Phase. In the Hero Phase, we turn our attention to those of you who want to get started in the Age of Sigmar or share this game with your friends. So the reason we've uh, asked Ben to join us for this episode um, was because in War Beast, as you heard, we had two main characters that were both identified as uniters in their own right. Um, Arcus, uh, War Beast, as we mentioned, um, united uh, more than 12 tribes um, kind of in a more haphazard and guerrilla kind of way to... Um, fight against uh, uh, the pestilence uh, and Thuderus Silverhand the Silverhand uh, had united a number of kind of more organized more Bretonian um, you know empire type uh, keeps and and strongholds together to, to wipe out chaos in there in the realm of metal in the realm of metal and so um, they're both no I mean the reason Sigmar chose them is because he needed uniters um and in our own community, obviously, uh, Ben, uh, you've been very active, very vocal, very visible in trying to rally the community together with the TGA.community forums and then um, in building up uh, Derby War Games uh, to, to rival any club <laughs> in the old world. Um, and so I just wanted to, to kind of spend some time talking about what it means to kind of be a uniter in the community. I know that sounds grandiose, yeah, but that's not a problem for Ben, right? But part of the hero phase for us is how do you, how do you, you yourself get new people um, into the hobby and in, in there's small ways, but there's also big ways. What uh, Ben, I know you've been podcasting for a long time. You've been a big fan of GW and uh, Warhammer. What set you off to say, Hey, I need to play a bigger role in bringing the community together. Um, so it's purely selfish, I have to say. 
Um, basically, if you want to play more games and have more fun in Age of Sigmar, then you can't sit at home moaning that no one's around to play Age of Sigmar with you. You you actually have to get up, and go, and try and you know build a community around yourself. So that's kind of what I did, and you know getting more people locally to come and play with us at Derby. And it is really selfish because I can walk to my local club. It's it's less than a quarter of a mile from my house, um, rather than having to drive over to Nottingham or things like that. And I see other people doing the same thing. They, they're complaining that there's no local players around me. I I can't find anyone to game with. Uh, but they haven't actually tried to build anything. So I thought I could go out there, I could show people it's not that difficult. There are people wanting to play Edge of Sigmar. Games Workshop have got all these shops all over the world. People are going in and buying models all the time, otherwise they wouldn't be selling the models. So there's plenty of people out there playing the game. Um, you're not going to find them by sitting at home complaining that you've got no one to play against. So it, you know, it kind of all stemmed from that, and the more... I put myself out there as saying, this is what I'm doing, this is how I'm doing it. The more people wanted to hear more about that, so then that involved into me thinking, maybe this should be somewhere online where this could all happen, people can get together, that's where the the Grand Alliance community came from, and, you know, Derby War Games is growing. Um, you say you have grown it into the most grandiose club in the old world. Um, a little bit true, also, I tell people that to because I want them to challenge me on it. <laughs> I want someone out there to say, um, we, we're beating you, we've got 25 people this week, or we've got 30 people this week. So basically that's where it came from. I, I'd like people to, I'd like to tell people we're the best club, because then other people might think, well, hang on, we, we've got a good club here, we can start advertising our club, like what they're doing, and get more people. So it's why we've got the banter with the, the Cheltenham War Chiefs, they're doing really well. They're probably, don't tell anyone, but they're probably doing better than us, because um, <laughs> they, they do it weekly. <laughs> no. <laughs> they're, they're doing it weekly, they've got a really club down, really good club down there, and um, we, you know, we're doing it monthly, it's a bit easier once a month, and um but no, that's that's where it all stemmed from, and that's where it's kind of expanded out to as well. And so, you know, does every? Here's a really important question: Does everybody need somebody from the moral realms to come to their first club night? <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, well, well, <laughs> the real seed of your success, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I mean, what's and what's interesting too is that there's there's certainly different. Um, in, in your podcast, um, you're, you had an episode on building your club. And obviously, wherever you're at, you're going to face some different challenges about, like, you know, where you go, what kind of space you have, how late is it open, um, and that sort of stuff. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what was really cool for me coming over. Um, and obviously, again, thank you and uh, Ben for for being willing to snap me up in a moment's notice to, to come and hang out. Apologize if my jet lag made me a bore. Um, it wasn't a jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, so tell us a little bit about um, kind of the gaming club culture where you're at. What What is unique about uh, your space and, and, you know, where a lot of war game clubs are happening in the UK? So I don't know if it's a UK thing or if it's other parts of the world do it similar, but... Traditionally in the UK, gaming clubs have always been um, like what you saw when you came out to us. It's a bunch of guys going to a place to meet, um, hiring a venue out on a weekday evening or whenever, 
um, and playing there. Whereas I know a lot of other places around the world, America in particular, um, it's either gaming store related or it's just you know playing in your garage. So we don't see that so much in the UK. Now, what we've got, we've got a working man's club. It's actually, um, an, well, it's not a British Legion anymore. It's an ex-British Legion venue. Um, so places like that in in and around and all over the world, I've, I've seen places like this all over Europe. I've seen them um, in America when I've been over there. And they, everywhere has them. They're just little places that are open every night of the week with a few guys drinking in the front and a vacant rear room. You can go and hire it out, probably for the price of four or five guys putting drinks over the bar all night. So that's what I see a lot of in the UK. People going to these venues, hiring out a club, going weekly, fortnightly, monthly, and um, you know, gaming in the same place. Yep, I think here, yeah, the the local game store takes on often takes on some of that space, that retail space, or that you know, that uh, gaming space, and and yeah. ha- picks a night. Um, each week of the week that they kind of focus on a different game. So our local game store has a Warhammer night, a Magic the Gathering night, a, a Dungeons and Dragons night, etc. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of forces some people into it, but it also means where they, the store where they buy the thing is also where they can find out where to play the thing. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I don't know if our model here in the States uh, unintentionally fragments the player base. So you might, like here in town, we've got three gaming stores and also a Warhammer store just open. And uh, so you could have a, you know, it's great because you can go in the store and they can connect you to someone, but you may not be connected with people who go to the other stores regularly. So yeah. uh, near you, the two shall meet. Right, exactly. You got to, you got to take some, whereas in, in uh, your guys setup over in the UK, you already know you got to find somewhere to go. And so uh, people may be searching that out. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, we do, we also have yeah the the American Legions or the VFW kind yeah. of locations that are often looking for an offset. Um, I know in your podcast you uh, Ben talked about Weight Watchers or Curves is another one here in the U.S. or some of these locations where they've rented out space because they need a, a venue for people to come, but they're not using it all the time, mm-hmm. and so they're going to be open perhaps. Yeah, set up in a CrossFit gym. <laughs> throw, throw yeah, some so I mean. <laughs> Just to put another point on that, the reason I pointed out those particular two places is Weight Watchers, I, I mentioned Slimming World in the UK, it's because they've got a website with a venue finder, so wherever you are in the world, you can search by your postcode and find a local club nearby that is meeting in a church hall in the back of a, a, a British Legion or wherever, um, and then you can probably go and you know, piggyback onto their venue. So there's tons of other things, you know, baby groups, mother and baby groups, that there's loads of other places that are renting out halls and spaces, so they're easy to find. Now, what about virtual? Um, you, I mean, obviously, Facebook has been like we've got a Madison Facebook group. Yeah, this is our local. We don't talk a lot about our local here on our show, but uh, you know, we've just started a, a switch from a Google Plus group that had previously been a forums that broke down because it, you know, there's one gatekeeper kind of thing. Um, and now we're in a Facebook group, and, and it's certainly expanded to people that I haven't met in person yet. Right. chatting about it. Yeah, it was good. It's the idea of uh, finding that balance. And you were talking about the difference of, of what WhatsApp and, and different things like that. But uh, it's, not a, it's not a matter of is there, is there a virtual place to meet. It's which, which one is the best fit for you, which one creates visibility that people can come and find you, and which one interfaces well. So it may take a little experimentation in your own area to figure out what works. But... Yeah, my whole I totally reason, agree with that. 
my whole reason for I'm I'm big on Twitter. I'm spend a lot of time on Twitter, partially because when Age of Sigmar came out, I didn't have a lot of time to game. My Monday nights that was our local time just obliterated. I had a you know brand new uh, baby girl, and so I only had the virtual place virtual place to meet people, to share hobby, to talk about you know games and stories and etc. And so, you know, I think some of the you know that local gaming club is happening online quite a bit. Um, but how do you translate that into games? How do you how do you move that um, towards a physical venue? Um, now, what you said is you know get off off your butt, um, be the lightning rod uh, for <laughs> activity. What kind of um, I mean, one of the things I you know I'm curious about is that our listeners, people who are curious about this, is like. Do you have to be a charismatic person? Do you have to be like comfortable getting up in front of people and talking in order to kind of be that lightning rod? Yeah, I suppose um, it helps. Um, I don't think you have to be, um, particularly if you can combine the two. If you can combine the social one with um, social media one, where you can sit and chat on social media, you don't have to be really outgoing because you'd be on your computer. Um, combine that with the actual in the face as well so when people do come to meet you um you've you've already told them everything they need to know in the run-up you're not really having to do as much chatting um if you are struggling ask for help there must be a couple of guys in your local area you could be the the brains behind the outfit and they could be the brawn on the night you know kind of like you two i guess yeah (laughs) i got the looks and uh (laughs) and i got the moves like jagger yeah um the one of the things I think, like you said, is sometimes it's not – the charismatic is certainly one thing. I think consistency is maybe a more important thing, uh, being able to um, you know, kind of be the person saying, okay, who's, who's coming out this night? You know, mm-hmm. Who's coming out um, next night? Um, as you were talking about, having somebody who kind of plays the role of, of uh, shepherd – um, yeah, you know, bringing people together, you know, just consistently saying, "Okay, who's next?" It's what's, happening. What's happening? And like you, uh, I think you've mentioned like the, getting the consistency of of contact, but also the consistency of people being out there if you can. And that's not been something I've been much able to help with, but we've we've had it where uh, we're talking, in, especially in the recent weeks for us. You know, hey, there's a game going. Hey, there's a game going. These people are out. These people are out, and that gets you know, like, well, if I show up, there's gonna there's gonna be people. And I think you were talking about it was just you and Ben Johnson, you grinding out. Uh, oh, and and the esteemed uh, Stone Monk gamer, <laughs> Eric. <laughs> uh, but you know, it might it might take you those those three, four, five, six weeks of just the two of you until you get another. But then you hit that critical mass, and uh, you know, people get excited, like, oh, okay, well, if I show up, I might be able to play someone I haven't played before, or hey, I saw that game it looked cool let me try that you know so the the uh putting in the i it's silly sounds feel silly to call playing games work but putting in the in the work of getting out there and playing the game in a visible spot that gets uh gets yeah i agree up, so. i agree i think the only i think the last thing or not last thing but one more thing to think about too is that i know often um there's a lot of tos mm-hmm. in the midwest i know there's a lot of uh tournament organizers in uh, the UK as well, people that are running tournaments, either the one days or whatever. And often that person who's, I mean, they're lightning rods, right? They're unifiers. Um, They often have to sit out sometimes in order for the group as a whole to kind of move forward and get games in. And so, you know, on one hand, like you said, you might be there every week, but 
the the crowd isn't the same. One person's coming every other week. Somebody's coming, or once a month, or once every three months, or something like that. You're there every night, but sometimes there's an odd man out, or you know, you need to make sure somebody else gets a game, or they're brand new. Um, and I guess this segues to the question um, to you, Ben: Is that club environment conducive to brand new players? Is it conducive either, you know, people that are there that are moving from other systems might be, but have you had any brand new players show up to just figure out what it's all about? Yeah, so (laughs) there's a funny story about this, actually. Um, So a chap called Andy um, messaged me out the blue on Facebook. I I used to know him, I think, 7th edition, maybe 6th edition, and he switched over to War Machine and then eventually just dropped out of gaming altogether. Um, Messaged me out the blue. I'm moving house. Um, I've got a load of old Warhammer stuff to throw out. Um, do you want it before I bin it? It's like, yeah, sure. Bring it down to the club next Thursday night. Um, there's a load of us there. You can have a chat. And it'd be nice to see I've not seen him for years. Um, this is a guy who I knew quite well, but I only knew him through gaming. So when he stopped gaming, we sort of fell out of touch. So he came down to the club with a big box of old Tomb Kings, old High Elves, and handed it over. And he's like, oh, I'll stay and I'll have a drink. I'll have a look at what's going on. And had a look around, you know, sat at the end of my table chatting all night. End of the night, he's like, oh, when's the next meeting? So it's a month's time. <laughs> <laughs> Gave nice. him the date. So he came to the next one, um, and there was a few new people there this time. And one of the things we do with new players is we always say, everyone's already paired up, but come down. If there's not someone available whose you know, opponent's dropped out or anything like that, you can just join in a three-way. We can change and play one of the scenarios. There's plenty of multiplayer, um, odd number of players or team scenarios in Age of Sigmar, really easy to get into. So um, I said to Andy, you can either play with my Chaos Source along with me or you can just sit and watch again. So he said, oh, I'll sit and watch again. So at the end of the night, he was like, I think we're going to pick some bits up. So we added him to our WhatsApp group. <laughs> and then the following day, he's asking um, if anyone's got any of the corn stuff out of the starter set because um, he, he fancies uh. getting into the corn. So I says, well, I've got some, which you can definitely have. It's even already built. Only catch is you can borrow it, but if you paint it, you can have it. So uh, he's he took nice. that away. He came the very next day on a Saturday morning, picked up all the stuff off me, and he's already started painting it. He's already booked a game for the next time we meet in. When we went to Warhammer World, which was a different club venue, he came there just to chat and hang out. So he's proper... Is that his taste? He's, he's got the hooks into him. Yeah. He's back into the game now. So, um, I was worried this story was going to be you guys selling him back the stuff that he gave <laughs> to the club. So. <laughs> no, we're not quite that ruthless. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we are quite open to new players. And the way we handle that is we tell them to just come down. We tell them that most players book a, a game a week in advance. Um, they're welcome to come down and hang out. They're welcome to come down and join in a game as a third player. Um, and also, if there's an opponent available, they can they can crack on. So I think over the last three months, we've had a new guy each time jump into a game and play a three-player scenario. Um, and they're all in our WhatsApp group now. They're chatting every day as if they're like part of the gang now. So um, that's one thing I would tell people. Don't be tied into your two-player tournament-style practice games because... Um, it is yeah. it is tough to get in as a new player with that. I used to travel a lot for work, and I used to take I used to play War Machine when I travelled. Even though I didn't play War Machine at all anywhere else, I played it when I travelled because it was easy to take like a fifteen or twenty five point War Machine army on you know in mm. small 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 model count fit in one case. 
And so I'd turn up at clubs that I know play War Machine and struggle to get the games because it'd be last-minute notice, people who already have opponents and things like that. So I think with Age of Sigma now, it's really easy to just switch your game plans up, play Triumph and Treachery-style scenario or... Um, you know any of the battle plans and i think on the community building episode i put links to some of the battle plans um yep. on the on the show notes so you know there's there's plenty of options yeah and i you you would hate to demoralize somebody have you know even whether they're new or whether somebody's been coming out for a while have them show up you know they they carve the time out from all their other obligations or you know paid some paid some points to the the spouse or whatever to to be able to get out there and then have them show up and then they can't get a game in. So yeah, exactly. Have that flexibility. So. And here's I'll, I'll point out, and I I don't know every episode I probably say something like this, but I think that is a highlight of kind of the the brilliance of the Age of Sigmar rule set. Um, in that, on one hand, right, we're missing the points, but uh, I know Ben uh, back in eighth, you put out an, an episode on tournament etiquette, right? Just what are some things that you should do to make sure you're prepped and prepared and all that kind of stuff? And I think that we've all had that conversation now about better etiquette, providing better games, and being courteous. Kind of, uh, I don't want to say, I don't know, have a term for gentleman's agreement that's gender neutral, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, like ways of making sure that other people are included. And then also um, the fact that it does play well for multiplayer um, and teams and stuff better than previous editions means that for organized or disorganized or random play, Mm -hmm. it is easy to move back and forth and include people. Um, So I think, I mean, I I just, again, it feels like as we've come over this last year and we'll do our one year episode pretty soon, um, you know, just what it's actually kind of the, the, what's blossomed out of these four pages has been a lot of flexibility, a lot of, of strength and foundation for this kind of growth. Any uh, any further thoughts on uh, unifying or uh, group building or anything like that, Ben? Uh, you can't keep calling me a unifier. <laughs> it'll, it'll go <laughs> straight to my head. <laughs> um, well, well, we we don't we don't have to play against you. Like it's a, it's our gift to all your opponents out there. <laughs> um, you know, the main thing is if if you really want to um, build a group around yourself. Even if you're not the sort of person to actually you know, stand up on the front of the stage and shout your head off or whatever, um, it's not too difficult. You know, If you're into the game, you're into it because you've found out about it somehow. So how did you find out about the game? Go back there and see who else they've introduced to the game. You know, If it's a game store, if it's a mate, if it's you know, a school league or whatever... Um, however you got into the game, go back to your roots and find out who else they've introduced in your local area. There's, there's ways of doing it. If, if you really want to do it, it's not too difficult. The, the main thing is, yeah. is the doing, I suppose. Yeah. I think, I think my last, uh, just you had kind of buried in there a little bit is, uh, don't undervalue those new players, you know, get them in, get them started. Cause they're not just the new player, but they're the new player. And maybe they're, friend or her husband or you know who, any anybody that they might bring in so you give you give one new player a positive experience you might have you might have actually brought in three or four or five more new players to your group so. i'm wondering uh is there i i'll put this out to the community if anybody could create some sort of challenge i know 
um, you know, Darby Wargamers and the and the War Chiefs um, have a little bit of a rivalry, as you as you mentioned, Ben. Like, is there a hashtag um, that we could put out there, like uh, Age of Sigmar Unifier or? Um, <laughs> You know, start you your club. Characters I'd, <laughs> I'd go for start hashtag club nights. I think might be a good okay. one. I don't know if that might be too and too ravey. Though. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you get all sorts of um, <laughs> iron up and nonsense. And, um, but somebody come up. You know, if you've got a, a club night that you start up, even if it's just two people, right? Yeah. Your first your first night out, two people post up. You know, your first uh, club night and. Um, Keep posting as as you're getting you know going up there. I'll leave it to the War Chiefs and the and the and the Derby Club to come up with the hashtag. But uh, post it up um, on Twitter, uh, on the TGA community, um, on the Facebook page. Even if they kick you out, um, you know whatever it is. Uh, I think it'd be really cool to just I guess celebrate that that people the action of doing of getting it going. Um, and uh, I I hesitate to put any kind of like reward on that. Uh, maybe some scenery dice. Oh, yeah. Those aren't mine. Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. Just give my stuff away. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so how did they get them? So, uh, so no, what was that? Just, I said, if that's how they're going to do if that's what you're going to do, give my stuff away, how are they going to win them? <laughs> so see, go to scenerydice.com. No. And uh, buy them. Uh no, we're. I think it'd just be cool to 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 see people doing that and encourage each other in the community. Um, I I would think again. I think it's a pretty cool thing. I've Davy and I s- s- put all of our time into the podcast, and there's times where I'm like, let's just stop the podcast and play and, and, play and, yeah. and build the community here. Um, but obviously, Ben would say, why do you have to stop a podcast <laughs> in order to do that, guys? Exactly. Uh, so we'd get a little bit ashamed. Well. Um, I think we got a pretty good cover on the community phase. Ben, you got time to stick around here for some hobby talk? Sure. The hobby phase. In the hobby phase, we want to stoke the flame of creativity for hobbyists and find shortcuts and easy entry points for new gamers. So we just spent a pretty pretty considerable amount of time in the realm of GUR. Now, as we, this is our first time entering into GUR, and I don't know if it's tradition or anything like that yet, but it is uh, now. It is now. Yeah. Um, we want to spend some time just waxing on about what it would be like to, like, what would be the ultimate game in the realm of GUR, from yeah. table to, you know. The army that you army, build that's themed in GUR, anything like that. Um, so. Whatever it is. So, um, Davey, what would... What would if you were to pick up a new project and say this is going to be in Gur? Um, who? What, what army would you pick? Stormcast. Actually, and I'm not. Yeah, I was going to say I'm, I'm not at all unique in this, but uh, you'll hear in those audio dramas they've got the uh, is it the Astral Templars? Yeah, Astral Templars, uh, especially Beasts of Carth, and they've gone savage. You know, they got unhelmeted, big bearded heads and pelts and teeth and everything hanging off yep. them. Tribal markings. That is way and... cool, and I've seen a couple people far more talented than i posting up on twitter but uh that that is a real fun twist on that and i think you could i think you could do that with some other armies it'd be neat to see with um i know we haven't seen any elves yet but it'd be it'd be fun to have a real savage uh, i don't know if you've seen ben do you ever see uh joe rogers up in uh i know he made it over to the uk with his yep. demons but he had a mm. uh, he had a real savage wood elf army 
back in the previous edition where they're all kind of uh, green stuff, dreadlocks, chrome and blood, blood spatter and all that sort of thing. Like that was, you know, that that has that realm of beast feel yeah. to it. So some there's a lot of different ways you go with your armies. Yeah, I had somebody mention Stormcast feeling a little dull as a as a, a project, and I said, you know, just mentioned that there's a couple of of cases out there where people have really kind of accentuated them with those bits there's another one out there where they kind of a shyish kind of thing where they put bones on the stuff but yeah you could absolutely take um kind of the space wolf approach to the the stormcast um ben where would you go if you were brand new project in the land of gur yeah i do i do like the idea of the stormcast with the fire slayer heads and that sort of that sort of look but that's sort of been called so um i think i'd do a monster mash of uh, see the ogres have been done to death everyone seems to be playing ogres and orcs with all the thunder tusks and spiders and all that sort of thing so I think I'd probably do an elf army because you know they could be anywhere no one knows um, and mm-hmm. I would do the full monster mash I'd have all the dragons and things like that and um, hydras and all that sort of stuff um, but that's because I'm you know a traditionally an elf player uh, to give it the the slant to make sure it's in the realm, I'd do terrain to match. I'd do the bases all to match. Um, you know, I, I don't know desert wastelands sort of thing. Maybe I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah, I think I would. I, so I started a project uh, that I I mean just to get it painted and based, and that's my um, clan Molder Skaven, um, and now in War Beast it's Clan uh, Pestilence or mm-hmm. Pestilency. Um, but, uh, what I liked about some of the, the kind of books and talking about Mulder is just this idea of, you know, some clan Mulder, they do experiments, uh, using warp stone and other things, um, to create monstrosities. So the, the abomination and whatnot. And I would love, like you said, Ben, a monster mash, um, of them, like taking manticores with rat heads or, um, you know, just like all the monsters in chaos, but just ratified um, as if they've just grown them in these pits. Um, and so the my tale of Sigmar two months ban, you know, kind of told some stories and that sort of stuff. Um, it was Clan Stabash. Um, and uh, they had a, a nest deep underneath this fort. And so I've got I've got some terrain coming from a Kickstarter um, that is like old fort stuff. I like kind of wild west log builds type stuff and that's i'm still wait i can't wait to build that uh, now besides a fort and that one is kind of in this wasteland but if i were to go to table mm-hmm. what i liked about war beast is this <clears throat> idea of of Ursengarad as this living creature itself like passageways that are thin and one of the things i don't think that um terrain does enough in Age of Sigmar. I mean, I'm always pushing for more terrain. Sometimes it gets ridiculous. Yeah. But like having, and I don't know if there needs to be like some rule where people could, like you take turns placing terrain. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they do that. I don't think we do that. Um, but like creating choke points, right? And and the story really talks about like these points where they have to go through like three, three to breast or whatever, where it just gets smaller. You can't get everything around. So I like the idea of these really rocky, um, um, vicious kind of stuff and like, yeah. Um, so like, yeah, just, I think the line of sight blocking type of like spires coming out, like teeth coming out was, mm-hmm. has really inspired me as well. I think, uh, before reading anything about it, 
trying to differentiate the realm of life from the realm of beasts it initially sounds a little challenging but from the realm of beasts I, I really get the the feeling you know the the wild is similar to how people might have thought about it back in our you know 12th or 13th century of like you know that's that's the dark that's the woods out there that's scary who knows what who knows what resides out there uh, <clears throat> so there's there's savagery and there's orcs and beastmen and you know the the woods are teeming with those so be careful where you wander uh, now even with you know rounds and being able to move individual models uh it's often still easier to place things up on like steps mm-hmm. like build terrain with steps and that sort mm-hmm. of thing so certainly like in this story we talked about like old dwarven ruins mm-hmm. um kind of swallowed up by glaciers and um and that sort of thing so i think there's room to create terrain that is like a build a table that's like this old dwarven um just like cool stones and that sort of stuff that's kind of the opposite very ordered mm-hmm. inside of the land of gur but then it being just overtaken yeah. like swallowed up by the land um so you kind of get some of those stepped terrain pieces for movement and stuff but still having kind of the feralness well i think i think if you really want to capture you know say a realm of beasts i think uh some of that terrain could be you know these gigantic uh, titanic skeletons you know so uh. like bones uh poking out and like you know some some beast that would take up a huge amount of the board or i, I did have this thought uh if, we, if you want to get really crazy with it like the whole board is the back of a giant beast you know they gotta yeah. exist out there um so I, I'm having a hard time thinking how exactly you'd represent that. But well, I think I mean one of the things is, as I've been thinking about in War Beast, you know, and we talked about it a bit about how the magic of Gur is kind of infused in everything. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, what if you know the realms are all different things or whatever? But what and you've seen the, some of the our our own kind of ideas of creation and and so you've seen the image of like the turtle as the world. And a big disc sitting on the turtle and that sort of thing. <laughs> like, that totally, to me, feels like Gur. The realm of beast, yeah, Like, sure. the realm of beast is a living creature that has, like, what we would call, like, you know, you get a fly on you, right? That is, you know, a gigantic titanic kind of thing. And then, you know, you got your smaller things like thunder tusks and whatnot, and dragons or whatever. But, uh, so, yeah, I th- could definitely see scaling, um, you know, on top of a... M- well, I mean, like, why do our tables have to be rectangular, for goodness sakes, right? <laughs> so <laughs> right. we just destroy it all and make it a big uh, big beast. But, uh, no, I think making making the – yeah, I guess that, you know, goes into, like, what would that what would that look like? What would yeah. that feel like on the table then? Or, or scale it down a little bit. Like, say you could have uh, moving terrain, right? So, like, a small fortress on the back of, you know, a massive – or something that kind of crawls its way along the terrain uh, or along the table. So you have you have uh, uh, you get have your choke point that actually moves. Or yeah. Like that. So have decisions on how it make do things that make the terrain move around. Or yeah. Um, there's the the Black River from the story where you've got a bridge going over a river and 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 on the outskirts of the water are these teeth. Um, you know. So make that choke point mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, make rules that if you enter in an area like kind of like dangerous terrain but uh you know still it's like a thematic version of dangerous terrain what would it look like if you charge or run through there and get chomped up yeah yeah um i think a lot of the other side of it the barren wastes uh, ben is also one of the easiest types of terrain to create 
in terms of cutting foam to be like blocks and gluing them up in stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our, our local game shop has a lot of terrain like that. I think I've seen it in another, a lot of other game shops where you just have like, you know, cut something, cut some uh, foam into some odd shapes and then just stack them tall. Just be kind of buttes and just the standard realm of battle seems to fit quite well for that, doesn't it? That's yep. true. Yeah. Yep. So it, none of the, I don't think any of the other Age of Sigma terrain so far really fits that realm. Um, right. You, you know, they're all kind of ruined old architecture or weird, wacky realm gates and things like that. So none of it's just like big, mountainous, destroyed old chasms and things like that. It, none of it fits that sort of realm, I don't think. So you do go back to having to make yourself out, make yourself out of foam. Yeah. Would be cool too. Um, I don't know. So I listen to a, you know, I know a little bit about 40k, and they have, um, what is the terrain called where you're in the corridors? Um, Zone Mortalis okay. is is the kind of thing, and they just basically it's tiles with like walls on it. Mm-hmm. So I think it could be really cool to to create like a a board like that with just you know more natural formations. With yeah. The- yeah, rock, natural rock formations, channels, rock channels, that sort of boxes. stuff, where you're fighting in. Um, and I think in God Beast, I believe there's a, and we'll talk about that in the future. But I think there's a, there's one where you're kind of walking through the, each tile is a different part of the cavern, mm-hmm. and you're kind of snaking through it in order to uh, get to the other end. So maybe that kind of feels like that as well, where you're deep down inside, and you know the thing could swallow you at any moment. Um, no, I think so. I think on one hand, Gur is certainly you think terrain um, blown to eleven, you know, sharp, crazy, savage, landscape. savage yeah. landscape, um, but can also be some of the easiest to create because it's not uniform, it's not straight lines, it's you know, chop it up, stick it on a, a base, spray paint it, and and uh, you know, put some um, gravel and and you know, plastic plants from the the fish store and and there you go the campaign phase in the campaign phase we explore how the plastic hits the table rules scenarios new tactics and narrative campaigns so there's no published gw document that has you know here's how you play in the realm of beasts there's no we, we don't have any scenarios there we don't have a time of war um we don't have we don't have any campaign book. Uh, weirdly, somehow God Beast doesn't actually ever take place in the realm of beasts. Interesting. So we're just going to take a few minutes. This is going to be much shorter than our usual campaign phase. We're just going to uh, mention some ideas. If you were going to create a time of war, what would you do uh, for it? So I'll kick it off with one of my ideas here. Yeah. So we talked about some of these moving terrain pieces, and you could build some rules around manipulating that that moving turtle with a fortress on the back of it. But uh, I was thinking of how we talked about in, in the novel how the spirit of the realm would be sort of infused the land uh, and would seep out. And occasionally they'd encounter these things where images would start barking and all that sort of thing. So you figure it would also infuse the fighters uh, in it. So I was thinking, you know, what's, what's a beast, beast mentality? It's fight or flight thing, right? So you could, have, you could have these random effects. And in some of these other ones where we've seen uh, in the realm of fire or metal, you'd have that that time of war gives and it takes away. So you want something that does a little bit of both. So you could do something like, you know, fight or flight, you know, uh, units in this area or on this board for this, um, they can reroll ones to wound, but
but their bravery is reduced by mm -hmm. one or by d3 or they have to reroll any ones reroll once to moon and reroll ones on your on your um battle shock test yeah get that fight or flight going on so. no that's a really cool one to tie in with kind of the bestial nature of it yeah um i think what's cool in um the latest audio drama series is there's a fountain that during certain seasons mm -hmm. um gives uh replenishment to beasts yeah and in other the seasons time of the beasts or the time to of humans the, yeah um and so having some terrain that either affects like um kind of on each role switches who it's in favor of mm -hmm. um so maybe you wouldn't make it beast human but if it's you know chaos um order or um destruction um death you know something like that where on a, each turn you're rolling for your turn but you're also rolling to see who's in favor kind of thing and i um, could be cool to just have those dynamics switch because that could, I mean, again, the whole the if the whole board is for you or against you kind of right. thing could right. be kind of cool. But uh, well, so one thing I'm thinking, so in the realm of life, you had these ways that Nurgle would summon demons because Nurgle's real invested in the realm of life. Um, in the realm of metal, you had ways that horrors would pop in or demons of each. I feel like the Skaven. I think we've already mentioned the Skaven are pretty invested in the realm of beasts. You know, the great horned rat has reached out for the realm of beasts more than any of the other gods. So uh, Skaven infestations are probably, certainly at the time, uh, at this point in the timeline of the Age of Sigmar, Skaven are, they're everywhere, but yep. particularly in the realm of beasts. So you could get ways where nests of Skaven would uh, be cut loose. And also some of these sort of iconic, you know, we presume that Gorkamorka is here somewhere in the realm of beasts uh, yep. all the, the sigmar's pantheon is is out and about so uh benefits to orcs you could you know so skaven popping up orcs popping up and of course beastmen right I ogres mean, yep. they're gonna be anywhere so um well and that happens in one of the color archaeon stories um mm -hmm. we'll talk about in another episode but uh where yeah just out of nowhere uh uh ogres show up and and the, the the blood bound have to deal with them, you know. Mm -hmm. So I like that idea a lot, too. In the te in in terms of yeah, having other things happen on the table that either party has to deal with, mm -hmm. and either equally or you know. Um, yeah. When we played that um, uh, realm quest uh, by um, miniature, um, sorry, Gorilla Miniatures. Mm -hmm. What I one of the mechanics I tried to put in there was, and what I hope to do, and maybe the my skaven board is having places where kind of like realm gates where you can pop in and out of but maybe like the realm gate you know use different types of terrain as realm gate rules mm -hmm. so like holes or tunnels or sure, that sort yeah, of thing absolutely. where you go through them but maybe you come out the, you have random come yeah, out you know like you the ice city had the entrances all over the fields like that yep. but maybe you have less control of where you end up yeah, um yeah. you know there's three three holes and you're gonna if you go in one you're gonna end up in one of the other two and maybe there's something that if you have it, it helps you, you know, yeah. do it better. Yeah, and there's room, uh, another set of rules that can help identify character. We saw this in the God Beast book and uh, also in Balance of Power. Uh, battalions can really sort of define the character of, of an area. So I think there's room for battalions, uh, formations from the realm of beasts. You know, you, you would have maybe some humans like you're, you're talking about your formed chaos worshippers or, mm -hmm. or tribesmen and have them be... Uh, have them be monster hunters. You know, they have a bonus to, to wound or to hit or a bonus to damage when attacking monsters or similar like a chaos formation where your warhounds um, are still, you know, 
garbage, but <laughs> they're, well, they're but if, still. if they're buffed when they're in, in GUR. Yeah, you exactly. Know, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be dramatic, but it can be, you know, it can be some little, little tweak um, of, of the, you know, hunting packs of the steps or something, you know. Just yeah. Kind of, uh, I think, I think there is, so you can define the character of, of a realm with your time of war, with the scenarios you play in there, but also with the battalions for to represent the forces that might typically fight there. Yep. And I think that there's a couple of there's a lot of some random effects stuff from some of the other times of war that would fit well in mm-hmm. in beast either you know whirlwinds coming through, um, some of the um, onager um, uh, game pack and and some of the other kind of uh, shaman stuff where there's you know ice and and yep. whatnot and wind. Those could be some really cool you know things that you know. I thought of at one point, could you play a game where one side of the board is up and one side of the board is down? Um, so you're playing on the side of a mountain, right? Oh, sure. So if you're moving, if you're moving in one direction, you're moving uphill. So movement is reduced. If you're playing on the other side, it's, it's faster, but you've also got the ability to fall mm-hmm. or, you know, that sort of stuff. So just kind of like take your flat board and can you use rules to elevate it and, and simulate that elevation simulate or, or just tip it over and see what falls <laughs> off of it and see what happens. <laughs> but, you know, just this idea of like, um, you know, gravity being a thing, yeah. right. Uh, in the game, does it have a rule for either one side or the other gravity's this way, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Um, that sounds quite cool. Um, just going back to the battalions thing. Uh, I've been to the Warhammer world exhibition today and there's actually a book that they can buy like a, a guidebook program. Um, it's called the Iron Warp Citadel Realmgate Wars book. And in there, there's actually a battalion for um, using a bunch of the Chaos Beasties all together. And that would translate oh. quite well to um, this sort of rule set you're talking about. So you pick a load of monsters. I think I think the restriction on it is just like five or more monsters. And it doesn't. it's not restricted to any alliance or faction or anything like that. And oh. the actual monsters on the board, I think they've got... Um, They've got a Charybdis, um, and then all of the Chaos Beasts. So it's a bit odd to see one of the Order monsters in, coming out of the... It's almost like it's their own the monster dungeon, you know, it's where they, they, <laughs> they keep, <laughs> keep all the big beasties under the castle. Um, but then there's a rules for having the, uh, the the whippy guys, what are they called? The the Bloodbang guy who, blood who can whip... That's it, the Bloodstokers. Yeah. Rules for having Bloodstokers with them. There's also a rule for having Alpha Beast... So one of them is kind of the oh, alpha ma- alpha yeah. of the group, and the rest have to follow him. So that's a quite quite a nice um, war squad battalion that would fit nicely into this sort of realm. Nice. Well, and something I don't think we've talked about, Davy, since um, we came back from Wapaka, is that on the on the trip back from Wapaka, inspired by um, the uh, what is it Fury Fury, Fury Road, Road or... Gorka Morka yeah. mashup that they created up there. Was this idea of um, having a tribe of marauders on chariots and horses and whatever trying to take down a mammoth um, over the course of like a, you know a number of boards? Yeah, like so you not, have three boards long or two boards scenario long. or time of war of a time, but a whole custom you know game where we we got super excited. Yeah, we got <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of stuff. We've just never had the time to play it. But like where the beast is the getting this beast taken down is the goal of the game. And you have m- many different people playing their kind of war bands, trying to contribute to that yeah. uh, kind of single singular goal. Um, but it, given this war band, you could certainly put an army on the table mm-hmm. that has some, uh, you know, we've learned from silver tower, the ability to have things kind of auto play itself. What 
what would this thing do? Yeah. Um, and then you have everyone else trying to um, kill it. Competitive co-op. Compa- yeah, you know, co-op, down, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so, you know, some it really cool stuff. It wouldn't be that hard, would it, to write a little chart of this attacks the nearest model or moves away from the last model that wounded it or something like that. Yep, exactly. So, and that's what one of the mechanics for the... Yeah, AI, easy. (laughs) 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 So, uh, um, we'll have to get Vince on that, Mr. Game Designer. Um, So, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I think there's so many... Reading Warbeast certainly brought open kind of how alive um, this realm is, but not in the... I mean, I think Realm of Life seems very uh, flora. Right. Whereas the Realm of Beast is very fauna uh, and you know, Fanga and Claw um, and just kind of so much crazy. Um, everything is trying to kill you. Yeah, absolutely. So some, some good imagination into this and, and you could build a really cool table, uh, build a really sweet army and even build some, I know that we've got a ton of creators out there to build really cool um, scenarios and, and um, war scrolls and stuff. So have at it. Yeah. Hopefully we've inspired a few people. All right. All right. I think it's about going to wrap us up. Ben, you got uh, any last words you'd like to say before we um, see you to the... Well, thank you for having me on, I suppose. It's a good start. Um, oh, I've, sure. <laughs> I've been listening to you guys since the your first episode, and I broke my rule as well. Of, I don't normally listen to new podcasts until they've done 10 episodes, just because, um, as we've talked about, there's three this month, there's another few last month, and I listen to like 40 different podcasts across all genres. So um, any new show that pops up, it's got to be good to uh, to break into the list. And you guys have been uh, top of the list, so it's a pleasure to be on the show. I very much appreciate it. So. Well, thank you as well. I mean, the uh, right back at you. Um, Eighth Ed, I learned a lot being a new player um, by listening to your show. Um, and like I said, the etiquette stuff and just being a better kind of present um, gamer um, in the community and uh, um, obviously yeah when Age of Sigmar hit there was a little bit of a gap that we hoped we could fill just to inspire not only new players but I think some of the <laughs> I was like hey podcast come on you guys <laughs> you guys got cool stuff so keep going um, and yeah glad to hear that we could uh, be a part of your your listening so um, yeah thanks for joining us for sure uh, for taking the time out and sharing your um, experience as a community organizer no problem <laughs> unifier uh unifier <laughs> unifier <laughs> and uh we'll definitely uh hopefully have you back on the show sometime down the road when you do something else cool but not until then whenever that might be i don't know <laughs> all right keep hey, keep doing cool stuff on. is the model of the story is it there you go yep absolutely <laughs> all right so, all right everybody uh have a great i have no idea where that was going uh, even, it depends on the time. That's why I, yeah. I, that's why I hate the fourth wall. Way to solve this, uh, finish this out. Yeah. Solid. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Hope you guys have a great hobby, and we'll See catch you next, next time. time. It's time for our reforging. Come discuss the show on the TGA.community forums. Follow us on Twitter at Mortal Realms. Davey is at Red underscore Zeke, and Eric is at Stone Monk Gamer. A review on iTunes would go a long way to helping others find our show and dive into the Age of Sigmar stories. Lastly, if you want to support the show, we have Mortal Realm status tokens available as a free DIY printable download. Or, 
For $15 US plus shipping, you can have 60 full color, high quality laser cut tokens to help you keep track of the synergies on your battlefield. Go to thegamecrafters.com forward slash games forward slash mortal dash realms dash status dash tokens. And thanks. All right. I did not. I did pretty good on yeah, that. Yeah, it was solid. I, we're, this, was, is, this is a good omen. Thuterous. We're going to crush. <laughs> All right. Do you, uh, I don't remember who did uh, community phase, so I'll... Uh, I th- Why don't we both record it and then you can use whichever one fits. All right. <laughs> In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. Wow. Wow, so much expressiveness in there. Yeah. yeah all right. I wanted Energy's to show high. you up. I'm loving it. All right. <laughs> I might have to leave them both in so people can just see how 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 much you're giving. Right. That would be a good good thing at the end. That would be a good one. All right. Let, all right. Let, let me nip to the loo. All sure. right. Nip to the loo. Is that like skip to the loo? <laughs> I don't know what skip to the loop means. No. I look Sorry forward again for making you rearrange your whole setup. To yeah, if, you're, if your next episode is a disaster, we will... Uh, Take the blame. No, we won't. You put out a single podcast <laughs> that just says, hey, my last podcast didn't record because I was recording <laughs> with Mortal Realms and they messed up my system. Yeah, that would do it. That would do it. That would do it. 